Hello and welcome once again to episode 47 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name once again is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode. And I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Ben. Hey, hey. And Paul. Howdy. So Paul has been on for quite a few times now, so he's basically an honorary completionist at this point. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about your promotion? <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Awesome. So before we get into our inter- uh, before we get into our episode, uh, it's time for our indie app spotlight. Uh, so today we are checking out uh, MuseStud by Beau Nouvelle, an iPhone, iPad, and Mac app that empowers you to teach music theory. So MuseStud is great for teachers and students of musical theory, allowing you to easily compose worksheets with fragments, which are blocks of musical notation and other markup, like explanations and short exercises, allowing you to create exams, diagrams, um, flashcards, and more from any of your devices. So MuseStud, I'm, I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced, music study, I guess. Uh, but MuseStud uh, costs only five ninety nine. Uh, so if you work with music, please be sure to support Bo by checking it out. And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. Uh, so today we are recording the evening of the September streaming event. Uh, so let's go through what was announced. Uh, ben, do you want to start us off with Apple TV Plus announcements? <laughs> <laughs> sure, the most thanks. important part of the keynote it's like Thank, yeah thanks for, front and center. Uh, for giving me the, the kickoff there so apple tv plus um i think they announced basically a whole bunch of new shows um they showed a whole bunch of sort of quick little clips um from some new shows and some shows that are returning um but uh just generally kind of promoting the service lots of good content on there i mean you know uh several shows that have won Emmys and, and stuff like that. So, you know, while maybe their offering is smaller than some other uh, major streaming platforms like Netflix and stuff, they do seem to, they do seem to be kind of generally shooting for like quality over quantity. Um, but they did announce Definitely. several, several new shows. Um, so uh, a show that I've watched that I really like was, um, is for all mankind about it's, it's since, you know, finished airing the second season. I'm, or, or like a couple episodes into the second season, and so far it's been really interesting. And something that I'm really looking forward to is Foundation, um, a new series based on a, a series of, um, of science fiction books. So uh, that looks really cool. Um, haven't really watched a ton of other Apple TV Plus content. Um, I'm not really a sports fan, so I I know Ted Lasso is the best show on TV. Not sports uh, related. Got to watch it. Everyone. I I know, but <laughs> it's still good. the first season's really good. I watched the first episode, and while it's interesting and funny, and and you know, I, Jason Tudegas is great. Uh, I don't. I just. I don't know. I just. It. I. I can appreciate for appreciate it for what it is. Uh, it's just not for me. I think. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, generally speaking, I think they're doing a great job of of trying to to find really interesting, engaging stuff, and then uh, you know, and then continue to do that you know well. So the one thing I did think was funny though on Twitter, I saw somebody who said that. Um, I think is it is it Ted Lasso that they're that they're only airing a certain number of episodes sort of uh, at a time so that you kind of you know you have you have to kind of keep keep up with it as every it goes Friday. Along. Okay, so doing they were that saying for a couple of them. I I really yeah. like that that model because right. like if you miss it, you can always watch it later. Right, and I don't know it. It's kind of like 
bookending the yeah. the end of the work week for us. Right. So Steph and I watch nice. one or two shows over the weekend, and it's like, okay, cool, another show's up. Yeah. So the the joke, I'm assuming it was a joke that they were saying was like that they're doing that on purpose to make you pay for Apple TV Plus sort of longer than you otherwise would. Whereas if they had put up all the whole season, you just binge the whole thing and then cancel your sub uh, and just wait for the next season or whatever, which, you know, I mean, there's different ways you can do it. And I think some... CBS did the same thing um, for like Picard, which I watched. Mm -hmm. And that got me Mm -hmm. to subscribe for a little bit, but then I canceled the subscription. Yeah. I I find Apple TV a lot better. And like I'm anticipating content, like, I don't know, the marketing for some of the shows just looks cool. Like Foundation looks cool. And it's like I'm anticipating it. When I look at Netflix, which I pay for as well, it's just like, I don't even know. Like what? There's so many options. There's so many shows. And I watch them and they're kind of like lower quality acting. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. I want to watch these like there's a couple good shows and then it's just so noisy right. with apple there's... tv i find myself anticipating a show yeah. because they're right. like hyping it and it's like okay it's coming back right right and yeah, not to mention and other things it's like it's too much right it's like too many choices and then you're like i don't even pick anything because i'm just i'd scroll for 20 minutes and then i just don't even pick anything. Mm-hmm. and not to mention when a show comes out like episode by episode week by week you actually have more opportunities to talk about it and for it to remain relevant for a longer period of time for the entire season um so that's that's one of the big reasons why shows come out as tv shows and not as a movie because you can Mm -hmm. watch six episodes of a tv show as one movie depending on what the episode length is um or you can go ahead and watch it over an extended period of time so uh that's one of the big jeez Whereas if you take like Stranger Things, right, a really popular, really generally very good uh, Netflix series, since they, I want to say that they air them all at the same time, they just drop the whole thing, yeah, you right? Just binge, I think. So you, yeah, so you binge it in a couple of days, and then it's done, and then you're excited, and you watched it, and it was great, and you talk about it with your friends, but then also like you have to kind of say like, oh, I'm gonna stay off Twitter, or I'm gonna stay off this thing for a while because I haven't watched the new season of stranger things yet and i don't want to get spoiled right whereas if you if they get dribbled out one at a time then like you said right you have time to talk about it but also you have kind of like a little breathing room to sort of experience it right Mm -hmm. rather than watching it all at once so and i think i think they're doing that kind of model just based on like how kind of traditional tv has worked but i do know that like the like the apple leadership team would like take off to watch sopranos and they were Mm -hmm. really big into sopranos on hbo Mm -hmm. um so i'm guessing that they're sort of mimicking some of that experience just because it was like the the one thing where like they're workaholics but they would take some time to watch sopranos right when that was out and the the best thing is you can still binge it afterwards right it's not like traditional tv where if you miss an episode that's that uh and Mm -hmm. then you are forever behind um Mm -hmm. but with the new model like you can go ahead and wait like we're waiting for ted lasso season two to finish so that way we can binge it because we prefer to just Mm -hmm. watch it all in one one or two sessions Mm -hmm. um but like you don't have to do that and i think it's it's okay for a series to to be regular and reoccurring and i don't think it's purely because apple wants you to be paying for apple tv plus because you'll need to pay for three months or whatever uh rather than just a single month right it's nice to have things to look forward to it's overwhelming when it's like six new shows Mm -hmm. pick one (laughs) 
Yeah. So. Welcome to anime on Crunchyroll. Um, <laughs> so I think ending. Apple's doing a really good job with Apple TV. I actually just uh, bought my first big screen TV. Uh, we've had a hand-me-down nice. TV for a long time. It was just a 40-inch, so we got a 55-inch 4K. It's been really nice to watch on the 4K Apple TV, so I'm enjoying nice. that. Okay, so we have some other announcements. Like that was yeah. just the... <laughs> that was just the first one. A surprisingly yeah. long time talking about Apple TV Plus, <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't all that much fluff too. I mean, the keynote was just like yeah. 77 minutes long. It was to the point, and I much prefer like Apple TV uh, promo uh, commercials rather than like game demos that last for like five right. minutes. Like those are the most <laughs> boring thing in the world. But a, a yeah. little teaser trailer for a new show, like I'm down for that. I'll watch yeah. it like going to cinemas right so are we surprised that they that they updated the what i'll call like the regular ipad basically the 9.7 inch home button sort of classic uh ipad body Um, i was surprised it spent so much time on it and made it sound like the uh the chip inside the 813 bionic was like the latest and greatest it just was like (laughs) wait a13 that was a while ago right um, so it was confusing for me cause I'm like, we're really hyping up like the performance of this thing. And this is like their economy, low entry iPad. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting that they spent so much time on sort of showing you like commercial uses, education uses. You can tell that, that I think because they spent so much time on it, that the 329 iPad is still probably a really good seller for them. I would imagine it, especially like in volume purchases where somebody's going to buy a whole bunch. Um, and use them like out in the field when they're doing some kind of, you know, check on a like, I don't know, like fleet vehicles and you're doing like maintenance reports or you're in a school and you've outfitted a whole classroom with them and you're doing, you know, lessons and stuff with them. I thought that was interesting that they that they kind of it's the cheap iPad and, it, and anybody can buy one. But but that they kind of focus on the essentially the reason why this iPad exists for one, it's so that you can get a really cheap entry into the iPad ecosystem. But probably more importantly for Apple's bottom line, it's so that we can sell lots and lots and lots and lots of these to commercial and educational institutions, you know, to buy like in bulk. Yeah, that's I guess that's one way to look at it for a family member. My mother-in-law has been using an iPad 2 for a very long time, and I got her the iPad from last year. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she doesn't care about specs. She doesn't care about how fast it is. Right. I, I think she did appreciate that it was lighter and bigger screen uh, when mm-hmm. we did upgrade. But like, for her to look at this new iPad, it doesn't mean anything to her. It's just like another right. iPad. For me, right. I, I knew that the internals were a lot better when the it was mm-hmm. refreshed the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's still it is it is a good device for someone who doesn't have like a computer or anything. She uses it mm-hmm. all the time for email and anything. So. It gets some good usage in her household. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's really what it's good for, right? It's like basically somebody who may or may not really want to bother with like a computer in the traditional sense, but they want to do computing tasks that are simple and straightforward. And like you said, somebody that maybe doesn't super care about the specs, they just like, I just want this to work, right? That's what I want. I want it to be easy. I want it to work. I want to do email. I want to do photos. I want to do that kind of stuff. I think that's. I think this is a great choice. And if and if I had 
I don't currently have anyone in my life that sort of is in that exact mold, but but certainly if if that were to come along, that this would be probably a no brainer suggestion, right? To because yeah. even to the point like if they wanted to like you know write maybe make like diary entries or or you know write longer emails, or whatever. It's like hey, buy the you know add the keyboard to it, right? And you can you can even have that nice experience of like you're typing on a computer, but again, it's small, portable, you know, easy to use. Uh, easy to update, right? Like easy to charge, all the, all those things, um, with, without kind of the complication of like having a more involved computer. Yeah, I bought one of these, not this specific iPad, but one of these low end iPads for my grandparents, mm-hmm. and they don't use it for anything other than when it rings, they pick it up. That's all they know <laughs> nice. how to do with it. <laughs> um, and for that, like all it does is act as a FaceTime device right um because one like international calls are still stupidly expensive Mm, mm. and it's cheaper for us to buy a cheap ipad and to pay like minimal uh, lte connectivity per month uh Mm -hmm. than to keep doing that and as a bonus they get to see us for the first time in who knows how long uh, because they're just used to like calling on the regular phone Mm -hmm. um so that has been a, a great thing so uh, like there are lots of uses for these low end iPads. Um, and I think it's good that they exist and it's good that they go down in price over time and it's good that they're kept up to date, but they really right. don't need to be able to do much of anything for the uses that people have for them. Like anyone right. that wants something more will be able to get more. Uh, right. but for everyone else, it's kind of a perfect device, especially as the iPad has been getting better and better chips and the right. software has lagged further and further behind yeah uh it, it still remains relevant even uh no matter how much how old uh, the device kind of gets I, do, I guess i do see the the camera upgrades nice like that was maybe a little unexpected for this so getting center stage and a slightly ultra wide lens is kind of cool mm-hmm. might yeah, just that be is easier like for apple to get those components right instead yeah. of sourcing the older components like oh we don't make these anymore (laughs) here's a here's a better one you want it right but and i think of the features that they could have put in something like center stage is a good it's a good one because like you said dimitri right like i bet you a whole bunch of these things are grandparent facetime machines for for talking to their grandkids and what better way what what better tech to put in there if you're going to put something as like a refreshed piece of hardware in there than than you know better better lens and then center stage to make that call experience better um you know they're anticipating that use case which is cool Mm -hmm. which brings us into the better uh, ipad update which is the ipad mini uh which then you have been (laughs) you have been uh lusting after for a very long time uh so are you gonna get the new red ipad mini oh wait not red, so <laughs> yeah. The I guess what we got: space gray, pink, purple, and starlight, which is sort of a silver offshoot, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there's a little tint of green. To okay, it. it's a little yeah, interesting. Starlighty. Um, cool that it gets the A15. I don't know that they actually did. They say that in the keynote, or so no, they didn't want to steal the thunder for the mm, got new it. iPhone. Uh, but but cool it, it is an the, A15. Yeah, from like a chip perspective, it's got like parity with the latest gen devices. That's cool. Um, love the touch ID in the, it's apparently the exact same touch ID that's in the iPad air in the power mm-hmm. button. Uh, they didn't say specifically, but I, I would imagine that it is probably very similar in size 
in physical size to the to the previous mini, um, but because they went edge to edge screen like on the the Air and the Pros, they're able to get an 8.3 inch screen out of it. Um, it's got 5G. Yeah, whoop you do. Uh, it's got USB C now instead of Lightning, which is nice. I really wish they would just bring USB C to the iPhones, but because at this point, what's left? I think it's the AirPods and the iPhones are the only. I think that's true that those are the only the only Lightning devices left. Um, oh, of course, it's the keyboard. The keyboard, all the devices, all the accessories. Yeah, just hold up the mouse. Yeah, the the Apple (laughs) mouse. That's true. Um, But uh, but anyway, that's really cool. Um, Twelve megapixel, twelve megapixel ultra wide front camera with center stage, just like on the other other iPad. Uh, So really, really nice upgrade. I actually broke down. I had a Mini Four, and I broke down earlier this year and and needed to buy a new one because it was getting pretty kind of slow and old. So I traded it in for, I could have gotten either the, I think, I don't know if they call it this, but it's essentially the fifth generation iPad mini um, or a, the the previous iPad, just the one that was called iPad. And I ended up doing the iPad um, because they actually had pretty much the exact same specs internally, um, but the iPad, of course, is a little bit bigger screen. Uh, it was actually cheaper. The iPad mini was 399 and the iPad was only 329 And so with my trade-in on the old iPad mini, I was able to end up like my net was like 180 bucks, I think, in order to buy a new iPad. So it was very cheap um, and cheaper than if I had bought the equivalent mini. So I ended up going to the regular sized iPad for my kind of just like reading and watching YouTube kind of sort of device. Um, and I like it. It's, it. It works. It serves its purpose. It's fast enough. Uh, I do think I like the mini size better. Um, so probably not going to upgrade immediately, but but maybe... One of these days, if, if Delta calms down and they reopen the the Apple stores, and I can <clears throat> I can go in and take a look at it, it might it might be something I might sort of upgrade in the future. I, I also might just take a look and see how much trade in value my this iPad is has, and if it's really high, maybe I'll just you know I'll just swap, swap it out. It. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they'll see. The problem though is that they upped the price, so it went from the previous mini was three ninety nine. This new mini is four ninety nine uh, um... at the lowest storage tier so <clears throat> so it's a hundred dollars more for you know i mean definitely a much better device than the previous mini but but, but look uh, at all that power a15 imagine yeah, but like, interesting things you can do with it. they put the a15 instead of the m1 right so they're just sort of well, the a15 the is m1 an, for the pros well no an a15 is an up as a higher end like a new generation processor better than compared the m1, to the right, m1. In theory yeah. yeah yeah that would be the m2 equivalent but that's that's what's so weird about the whole thing is like it seemed very clear. It, it seemed like what they were doing was they all of the mobile devices, iPads and iPhones, were all going to get the A series chips, right? And then mm-hmm. when they went to Apple Silicon for the Macs, they're like, okay, well the M1 is the one that's in the first gen of Macs, so it sounds like that's going to be the cadence for for Mac devices. They're you know probably at the end of the day very similar chips, but they're going to sort of still sort of be demarcated in that way. And then they put the M1 in the iPad. Uh, pro and it and was cut like, our hopes up what was up it was like that? wait what like and yeah and then and then it turns out that like well maybe that's just like going to be a one-off maybe i mean who knows um but yeah it is it is weird that they that they kind of reset our expectations and then set them back to what we kind of thought originally which is like oh you're putting the a-series chips in the ipads right like so yeah. very strange um but yeah i i really i think a very good update and i think if you're a mini fan and and you have a previous gen mini i mean the ipad mini 5 i want to say was last updated in like 2017 
2019, maybe maybe early 2020. So it's been it's been quite a while since they've spec bumped that, and this is you know in in many ways, not just like in a from a chip perspective, but in many many ways an upgrade. Um, so and it even does the new pencil, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can the, order it today, and it starts shipping next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you order it. Um, well, you order it. Looks like yeah, today. Yeah, and, it's or Friday. No, no order now ships Friday. Okay, yeah, cool. Cool, cool. So yeah, um, much better than when we get to the Apple Watch. They didn't. They basically <laughs> gave us nothing about when that's coming out. So, so comparatively, the Mini is actually something that we we you can get in your hands pretty soon. I guess they don't expect it to ship like a whole ton of them. So they're like, yeah, just like computers are always available, like when right. they announce them, ship it now. Uh, it's it's like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, speaking of which, uh, the next thing is the Apple Watch Series Seven. Um, which was heavily rumored to have uh, to have flat sides like the iPhone 12 series phones, um, and not only did it not have flat sides, but uh, but it's Jeff Williams rounder. actually kind of <laughs> kind of almost like stuck it to the leakers by saying it's even more rounded than the previous watches. <laughs> it's curvier. <laughs> it's curvier. Yeah. Uh, which I saw John Prosser on Twitter, a, an Apple leaker. Who who did sort of famously leak that it was going to be flat? Uh, he did sort of tweet and say like, "Oh, this is a real, <laughs> this is this is a real like uh, I forget what he said, but it was something like a real blow to my ego or something something to that effect uh, that uh, that it didn't work out the way he thought." Yeah, yeah honestly, I, lie. I, right. I think this this form factor works better than like flat edge, especially if it's not a circular like form factor like right. a watch traditionally is. Right. Because it's this weird, like rounded rectangle, I don't think it yeah. would work as well uh, with flat edges as everyone thinks it would. Uh, but like, I think people like Apple Watches more than they like the stylistic, like addition it adds to their wardrobe sometimes. So that's, yeah, that's a fine I would say that most have. people who wear an Apple Watch, they either don't care at all about the style itself, right? That's not important to them at all. Or even if they do care about the style. Uh, it's not the primary concern because let's be honest, mm-hmm. an Apple, like in my opinion, I'm a little bit of a watch like geek. Uh, an Apple watch is never going to look as good as like a really nice, really well-made, typically fairly round shaped, um, uh, you know, sort not of even the gold Apple, Apple watch. watch edition. No, especially not that one. Not that, even? To me, that one looks really gaudy, but, but, uh, but <laughs> But yeah, like it's 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 utilitarian, right? Like it's that's that's its its function is to give you information to help you track your health. Yes, it tells. It, like I think one of the things it does maybe the worst is tell time, um, because even with the even like if you go to like if you go to like an analog watch face, and even if you have one of the ones that has an always on screen, because it goes to sleep, um, it doesn't necessarily update perfectly, and then you have to sort of you know mess with your wrist a little bit to even read the time. Um, so to me, it's value is not so much as a watch, like the, in the traditional sense of telling time, but in like all of the other cool stuff that it does. Uh, so I don't, I think aesthetically speaking, it's fine. I and mean, it's a, it's a nice looking device, but I, but I don't think anyone's fooled into thinking that it's, you know, a piece of really like, like fancy, very classic looking, you know, uh, sort of like in the realm of Jewelry. watches, right? Yeah, it's not jewelry exactly. I I use it just 
to be functional. Like my yeah. favorite part is just the the fitness mm-hmm. integration with uh, workouts, starting to run, starting to bike ride. Right. While we're biking, I can just glance down, see how fast I'm going because mm-hmm. I've got the GPS built in on the the later models, and it's just right. super convenient. Yeah. Um, I, I love it, and I love the integration with the Apple Fitness app now. Mm-hmm. So just being able to see vitals and stuff on screen, right? When you're doing a, a fitness workout uh, for, like, I do the yoga. I've tried a couple of the mm-hmm. lifting ones or whatever, and it's just been super nice. Yeah. So I'm not a watch geek. I don't have any of those fancy watches <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, I always started with um, just a basic sort of stopwatch watch. Mm. And then when Apple Watch came out, uh, I switched from not wearing a watch for a very long time because my <laughs> previous ones broke to just wearing the Apple Watch full time. So I'm excited about this one. Nice. Dimitri, are you a watch geek? Uh, I, previous to the Apple Watch, like a watch was the most expensive thing like I ever bought mm-hmm. with my own money, which mm-hmm. was like around a thousand bucks mm-hmm. uh and i i wore the hell out of mm-hmm. uh that watch um and i really like the mechanical like aspects mm-hmm. not not one of like there's no battery in there but the fact that there are gears yeah. there are uh things that work together to kind of tell you time yeah. and there's it's a tiny machine right yeah yeah right. Th- that aspect of it yeah um i find really compelling mm-hmm. um and it's not at all from like the jewelry perspective, um, right. which is ironic that I brought that up uh, previously. <laughs> I was mostly just joking. Um, and from an Apple Watch point of view, like I use it for the health stuff. I don't use it for anything else though, other than like the basic complications that I have mm-hmm. on the watch screen. Yeah, which is like the temperature. I use that all the time mm-hmm. uh, to tell if it's too hot outside to uh, open a window, for instance. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I also use the solar face um, because it tells me like when the sun is going to go down so I can plan mm-hmm. like my day a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that Sunset all the time. Sunrise. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you can switch the dial and see it move, uh, like going back to enjoying that mechanical aspect of it, that feels, it feels like a little k- tiny gizmo in that mm-hmm. uh, fact. And it's kind of sad that Apple removed the, um, I forget what it was called, time travel, was it? Uh, mm-hmm, feature mm-hmm. where like that would work on every face um yeah they removed that and it's only on those two solar faces that you can mm. ca- kind of fiddle with the um digital crown and kind right. of go forward and back in time uh but it's really practical especially on the new solar faces because you can go ahead and uh fiddle with exactly which sunset do you want do you want the nautical sunset do you want the civil mm-hmm. sunset or um you can ca- you can get a feel for exactly what time uh, those are coming and right. plan accordingly. So um, I really like that aspect of it. Cool. Interesting that they, so they, they're increasing the size of the device ever so slightly to 41 and 45 millimeters, but they did say they did announce. Is that the is... screen or the device size? I think the device size is staying the same. It's just yeah. the screen is getting bigger. Okay. So yeah, I think it is. I think that makes sense though. Then yeah, that's the, it's the screen size, right? And then the device, uh, if it is any different size, it is so tiny of a difference that it's basically immeasurable because the uh the watch bands from basically since the very beginning of the apple watch uh do still fit and that was something that people were kind of rumored uh to to think that that might not be the case which i think would be a terrible idea for apple to do because uh, i don't know about you but i have probably uh, four or five different uh, apple watch bands my mom has like 
30. She buys the 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 like fluorolasmer ones from Amazon that are not the official Apple ones, but but work that look look and work basically exactly the same, and they're way way cheaper. She has this huge collection of watch band colors that she loves to kind of swap out and, and wear. So I think um, that I would just be have one. I yeah. just have the black. Nice. So that would be. I think that would be really bad if they were to if they were to say, oh, it turns out all these are none of these are useful anymore. You have to start all over. Um, I think people would be really upset about that. So it's good to hear that they they are able to change the the device to make the screen bigger and more sort of expansive across the face, the top of it, but keep it so that the you know the the overall profile and the and the band still fit. So the Apple Watch band that I'm wearing is actually kind of funny because I make most of my money on YouTube from two videos of showing people how to put this band on. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I make. Uh, hundreds of dollars a year from that so. <laughs> that's funny um and then in the keynote they also showed off a new uh swipeable keyboard that's actually on the apple watch so that you can now kind of like the swipey keyboard that's on the iphone you can sort of you know swipe your finger around on the keyboard and get different words to come out through predictive uh predictive te- predictive text uh, and as soon as as that came on screen, everybody that I was in my chat with when we were kind of live chatting about it was like, "Oh, look! It's that it's the thing that uh, a prominent indie developer um, produced and and put out there, um, both with an app of his own, and then also uh, made an SDK so that other watch developers could use it. It's an app called FlickType. Uh, basically, ended up getting Sherlocked by Apple." Um, and one of the really kind of sad parts about that is that he was sort of harassed off of the App Store um, by Apple. Like weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and then it's actually since sued Apple over it. Um, uh, mm. And then now they're announcing with no you know, sense of irony at all, hey, we just copied your thing and <laughs> turned it into an OS level feature, which you know, it, it's arguable that maybe a keyboard is supposed to be an OS level feature. I don't know. They do offer their party keyboards on the iPhone, and they don't seem to have a problem with that. So I'm not quite sure why they're suddenly so... Uh, no, no, this is our turf. You can't do this kind of thing on the watch. I but. think if they did not kick, uh, so the developer is Costa um, Eleftherio, I think. Uh, and if they did not bully him off of the App Store, then it would be a case of a typical Sherlocking. And yeah, it's just, it's obvious right. functionality that Apple should have added. Right. The fact that they bullied him off the App Store, though. Right. That is what I honestly believe is probably going to get them in trouble. Um, yeah. especially because it doesn't seem like Costa is the type of person that is just going to be happy with a quick settlement, right. um, which they've probably already tried offering uh-huh. uh, just to clean that up. Um, yeah. And it doesn't seem like it's going to go in that direction. And if it does go to court, it's honestly pretty obvious that Apple has a chance of like losing big time with this particular case. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could have some major repercussions for how Apple does things going forward right um from an right. anti-competitive point of view because they they quite literally bullied like them off they right. they used their their muscle to uh have their one solution before it was even ready mm-hmm. um which is the saddest part about it yeah hmm. i don't know anything about that it's tough was he making money on it yeah 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 and it was it was relied upon by a ton of people because it was the only accessible keyboard in a way that uh, people could actually use. Um, and it was a big shame that like Apple promoted this keyboard in the past, and then they just decided one day, oh, we don't want this. 
Um, and now it's clear why uh, they perhaps had that stubborn right. stance, which, right. like, I don't see how it would have hurt Apple to just kind of ignore the app yeah. and just come right. out with this anyways. Like, right. it's an obvious system level feature that you want to have. Right. Like, no one's going to to um, to blame them for that. Probably not even Costa. Uh, the fact that they took this route, though, that's what leaves a really sour taste in... Yeah many people's mouths and um kind of like going back to the beginning of the keynote like apple had this very pro californian mm-hmm. propaganda thing going on yeah. which is a little weird yeah uh, some people suggested oh they're trying to hint at all their uh, employees don't you love living in california like mm-hmm. come like you want to be working here don't move uh, away for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah don't move away right. um like that's kind of the cynical point of view that you can take uh, but they also didn't kind of talk about anything that uh, they're kind of being blamed for. Um, and right. they didn't address anything. And they just kind of pushed it under the rug. And that's fine for them to do. I mean, this is their day that they want to uh, choose the image that they're kind of pushing forward. Uh, but, like, these kinds of things stack one after another. Right. Uh, and you slowly erode trust little by little. Right. Um, and at a certain point in time, it's not just us super nerds that are going to be uh noticing this but regular people and right. they're gonna not care about your products anymore and right. that's a shame so uh it is the the apple watch is ipx uh, ipx6 dust resistant and also wr50 swim proof i feel like that certification is new like i know that it was you could swim in the older versions but i wasn't i don't know that they've ever actually touted the sort of like code that that represents that uh, that value, so that may or may not be. I thought it was a deeper. Is it? Is it? You can go deeper and longer or something. Yeah. Maybe there's not no longer. Resistance it's the up same time enough. period. Okay. After the. Just deeper. Yeah. Um, so then they they're doing uh, midnight, which is basically like a, a space gray sort of variant. Um, starlight, green, blue, and red, um, in the aluminum models, and then silver, graphite, and gold in stainless steel. Uh, and actually, I missed the titanium one, so uh, that's interesting to see that they have the titanium one in light and dark. Um, and then, like I no said ceramic. before, compatible with all the uh, existing brand, existing bands, right? No ceramic this time, which is unfortunate. That was if I was going to go for a more expensive Apple Watch, ceramic might have been one that I would have chosen. Uh, three ninety nine for the for the Apple Watch starting starting at three ninety nine. And interestingly enough, the Apple series, the Apple Watch Series three is still for sale <laughs> they're still going to keep selling it which at this point is uh what is that four four versions old um so interesting that that's still on you know like available um, it lets them compare the screen sizes they've got it listed uh, on the, the three sizes, so they can show you how like yeah tiny an upsell the screen is because if you just compare like the series five and six against the seven, you're like, well, it's a little bigger, but not that much bigger. And then you look at the series three, you're like, wow, is this a prototype? Like, <laughs> by comparison, it looks so the screen's so much smaller. So then you're like, I want the, the right. That's good. That's that's a good yeah. that's marketing. a good call. Yeah, marketing. Yeah, um, not Johnny is, Ive on you Twitter about um, brightness before. It is seventy percent brighter indoors. They say when it's oh in, nice uh, when the it's always on mode. Not, yeah, when it's not active. Cool. That's good. So it, that maybe will help you to right, see it. Right, because it's very dim when it's when it's not like on. Um, and then, interestingly, available later this fall is what they say. So I don't. Did they didn't announce anything about like 
pre-orders or anything, right? It's just no. like straight up here. This All is the we thing know is our shortages. <laughs> we will not be giving you any more information about what, how or when you can buy it. <laughs> Other than yeah. just to say this fall, you know, very generically, which, I mean, I guess that does mean there's a time limit, right? It's December 31st of this year is kind of when <laughs> when that is definitely uh, expired. But, but um, yeah, interesting. I, I would assume that it's it's, you know, related to like chip shortages and other supply chain issues that the whole world has been experiencing this year. Um, but, uh, but probably not, probably not their favorite thing to say, Hey, look at our amazing new cool thing that you can't buy. Um, especially going into the Christmas buying season. That's not what, not, not, not what a company wants to say, but, but I also get that they, you know, they may not want to commit to something that they can't necessarily, you know, actually, actually make good on. So whether rather be kind of, vague than to be specific and then get it wrong yeah um going back to the series three a tiny bit um not johnny ive on twitter joked that in like the year 2097 uh there's gonna be the brand new apple watch 97 or whatever uh-huh. uh series 97 and uh joined by the apple watch series 96 from last year uh and the apple watch series three um because <laughs> it never seems to be going away they're just skipping generations in between um but yeah. the like we're joking about this, but it's actually an issue mostly for developers because that right. means that the Apple Watch Series Three has a few more years of right. OS support uh, right. that, as developers, you need to support if you're writing watch apps. Right. Um, and that, that, as you can imagine, is severely limiting uh, because of the expanded capabilities of the later models that are much, much faster and much, much more capable. Um, your app could essentially be crippled on. Uh, yeah. the Apple Watch Series 3, and you need to take the brunt of that customer service. Uh, for do you have to probably, support it? Like, can you, you opt out by having certain features enabled or not? Well, if the feature is, I need to speed your watch, then you're out of luck. So, uh, like, you are left as the developer with the customer support burden of that. Um, you can't just say this is not available on that model. You can say it's not available on this OS, but this model is going to support uh, yeah, is 15. going to continue to be supported. Watch OS um, yeah, for yeah. several more years, especially mm-hmm. since it's being sold now. Um, and it's probably going to be the most common watch uh, right. just because it's the cheapest. So what, uh, so what is the SE? Which one is the SE? So the SE is uh, basically an updated model of the Series 3 with like new silicone in it. Okay. Um, but it does not have all the fancy features of the series five at the time i believe okay so it does have a bigger screen yeah it came out last year to replace the series five okay so this and it has the bigger screen uh like a more edge-to-edge screen but it's basically like a warmed over version of the series three is what you're saying like slightly upgraded like yeah like we everyone would have hoped that apple would make that model the cheapest right right but they're still offering they're actually there's they're going to be offering the seven the six so the the current one, the one before it, which is very standard Apple, right? And then and then also the SE, which again kind of makes sense. I mean, they're 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 still selling the the iPhone SE, amazingly enough. Um, but then they're keeping the Series Three around also for some reason. I guess it's because probably from a price bracketing point of view, they just they you know they want to cover kind of all of your all of the um, all the price points themselves, right? So that they don't end up. People don't or it's the only else. parts they have in stock. Or, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. True I, I feel like this is doing more service to Apple than the consumer. Um, like, yeah. for instance, my aunt went in to buy a new iPhone um, a few weeks ago, 
And instead of pushing like the best iPhone that she could get uh, with like what she could afford, they were pushing an older model, which does not make sense to me. Like I would never tell her like get the lesser model. I'll give you the extra money right. to get the higher <laughs> model because it's going to last longer. It's not going to like burden you for as long. So mm-hmm. it was quite surprising to me that they were still pushing that. And I feel it's very much like they have a certain amount of parts that are already prepped for mm-hmm. these older models and they just want to get rid of that inventory um as like much as they can it's not really about setting price points for customers because like a customer is going to pick either the best one or the lowest one not necessarily in between like you'll you'll look at in between and you'll want the better one um so it's it's a little weird that they're kind of pushing those in between models um right especially once like a, a year off like I, it, it's a, it's not like an updated thing that is using a year old components. It's just last year's model. Like not not everyone would necessarily want that. Um, so right. I I don't really I don't really think it's it's like a service to Apple's customers that they do this. Um, and it's very much a Tim Cook era thing. I, yeah. I know like no one likes to say right. this, but squeezing like, that supply chain right to sort of maximize. Yeah, and you never see this sort of thing with, like, Macs. Um, right. I guess you do with educational models. Uh, but uh, in the general lineup, like, when there's a new Mac, that's there's a new Mac. Um, and you might get a cheaper model with older components in there, uh, but everything kind of gets updated. And uh, you never see that with the Apple Watch, the iPad, and the iPhone. It very much feels like they try to keep those older models around as long as possible and show them in everyone's face rather than just the educational market where they would have done that in the past. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess that this is going to be our last year of seeing the series three on the, the table. Yeah, I would hope I so. am also really excited about the blood oxygen, um, built is... in I, I think that came out last year and i mm-hmm. still have a series five so i don't have mm-hmm. that but yeah. i've been playing around with uh some breath work i've read some books um breathe by i think james Nestor and the oxygen advantage and they talk about some breath work and using a oxygen blood oxygen sensor to sort of check how <laughs> how breath holds are impacting your ability to sort of work through uh, lower oxygen level so i'm interested to explore playing around with that from a fit- you, fitness aspect you might be a little disappointed like yeah. it's most mostly a check of you have a healthy oxygen level or you have a very unhealthy oxygen mm. level. so there's no numerics there is a numeric but it's either healthy like ni- around 90 percent mm. or not healthy which is much less than 90 percent. so i guess if you're if a healthy you catch- individual you're not going to see any variation I guess Depending if you were to catch COVID, you. that would be useful to yeah. a useful metric to have. Okay, but but it's but. not something that you can like do anything with, if that makes sense. Right. Other than like okay. know that you have COVID and freak out about right. that, I guess. So right. I I can't actually get the number because all I you really can get the number, the number, but anything you do is probably not going to influence that number, if that makes sense. Like it's not an accurate enough reading to. Like mm. if if you breathe it's a certain not way, you're enough, gonna. You're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Because it's just reading it through your skin. It's like doing a best. Well, I'll have to play best guess. Yeah. yeah. I'm still excited. 
So on, <laughs> don't don't rain on Paul's parade, right? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, on the fitness side of things, we have a brand new update to Apple Fitness. <laughs> yeah, they spent a surprising amount of I guess not a surprising amount of time, but they they spent a lot of time on on Apple Fitness, and I think I think probably for good measure. Um, they so 4K video is something that they're that they're now doing. Wasn't uh, didn't it already have that? Like I felt like they made a mention of it, so I guess they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were 1080p videos. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not... I mean, I've been doing it on my 4K TV, and it's been crisp. And I don't think yeah. I've been looking at 1080p video. Maybe yeah, they no. weren't recording in 4K. So, like a oh, common trick of of the industry is nothing you watch in 4K was actually recorded in 4K and processed in 4K. Like they'll record in 8K, then they'll downsize that to 1080. They'll edit the whole movie. And then they'll be like, um, everyone wants it in 4K, so they just up-res it. Um, and that's like the dirty secret of how every movie is made. Um, and if you want actual 4K stuff, you need to watch like YouTubers because they actually care about like keeping that process as high resolution as possible until the very end. Um, but yeah, so maybe it was similar for Apple Fitness hmm. where they weren't really doing any any of the processing in 4K. They were just kind of recording cropping and then right like the finished product was in 4k but not not natively right like they yeah. were they were uprising it yeah so ski workouts are also a thing which as someone who lives in florida i don't really care about but, <laughs> but, but cool i mean it's cool they added it um i think the thing you that's most interesting in the hurricane. yeah i can pretend yeah <laughs> i think the thing is most interesting about uh the, the what they announced though is um that they are bringing group workouts to over facetime using i want to say this is using the share play technology um that they announced with 15 and at dub dub um but uh which i think did actually get pushed out of scope of 15 right yeah. like it's coming but it's going to come a little bit later in the fall um so i would assume that that i didn't notice whether this was true or not but i would assume that that means that this specific feature of fitness is also something that's going to be coming obviously once that that sort of technology ships and they'll be able to incorporate this feature but i think group workouts is really really cool um as much as fitness plus is an interesting and sort of additional like vector into fitness classes and stuff for for everyone um i think being able to do it in a group setting in particular, currently, where you know, even though we were maybe kind of getting out of the woods, and then we're kind of not getting out of the woods with with COVID because of Delta and stuff, um, I think it's really cool that they're bringing that to Fitness Plus, so that you can you know you can still kind of have that interaction like with friends and family and work out together, but do it in a way that is socially distanced, well planned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure not on purpose, but 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 cool that that, that they're bringing that. It's unfortunate that you can't actually do fitness workouts with someone else in front of the same uh, Yeah, display. that would have been yeah. my request because I was like, what if Steph and I want to both do the yoga? Right. Especially now that you have a nice, nice new TV, right? Yeah. That was something that I saw on Twitter. I was like, oh, this is great. Group workouts with the FaceTime. But like, why can't you split a 60-inch TV into into like two pieces and give give me like the readouts of two Apple Watches that, you know, me and my partner or whoever it is, right, roommate, whatever, can mm-hmm. can uh, can do like one workout in the same room at the same time. You each need your own Apple TV, separate TV. Yeah, and your own screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you got to go, okay, go. And where you like both start the video at the same time. And right? you like, mute yeah, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That reminds me when the when the iPad just came out, like it was a, no multitasking was a thing. Like that was not mm-hmm. a thing yet. 
Um, and we happen to have two of them. Like my mom had one and I had one and we both have mm. those folio uh, cases that it came with. Mm. Um, and you could actually put the cover of one folio case behind the other iPad and you can like make a book out of it. And I joked around. I was like, hey, I got multitasking working on my iPad here because I got two iPad screens. So uh, same funny. solution for Apple Fitness. It's, it works yeah. tri- tried and true. Just get two screens, two Apple TVs. Two screens, two Apple TVs. Um, and then discover that doesn't work for some other reason. <laughs> right, good. right. I'm, I'm sure that will come eventually. I mean, I can't imagine that like connecting a second Apple Watch to your Apple TV to send like the workout data over Bluetooth to the Apple TV to put up a little bit of UI HUD in the corner like, come on, that, that the, the Apple TV 4K is definitely powerful enough to, to be able to do that and play back the video at the same time. So I'm sure it's got to be something that they're working on because um, I do think that that is something that, you know, any family, any like household that's got more than one person in it um, is is likely to want to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, it, back to AirTags as well. Uh, there's no concept of like sharing an AirTag between two members of the right. same family. Um, and I yeah. joked around as well with that. It's like, hey, we we have an air tag on the cat, so we know if the cat right. runs out, we can find <laughs> it. Um, but what if I got two air tags? One connected to my phone, one connected mm-hmm. to your phone. We shove it in the same little yeah. pocket that we use, um, and fact, now we can both track it. Um, David that Barnard should not be actually, a solution, <laughs> right? No, David Barnard actually on Twitter complained about how his wife has an air tag on like her keys or something like that. Um, and uh, and he constantly gets alerts that there is an air tag in his vicinity that doesn't belong to him as like a security thing, but it's like it's my wife's air tag. Like, calm down, right? <laughs> this is not. I don't. I don't care about this notification. is worthless to me. And in fact, it's just annoying. So mm-hmm. uh, you know that that is something that they definitely. And again, you'd think not that difficult to manage because families are a thing inside of iCloud. Like you'd think that they could fairly easily set up something that i mean even to the point that like in find my you can actually look at your at like the people in your family that you're following their location and whatnot you can also see their devices so again like the system understands what a family is you'd think that they would have thought of oh yeah i want to be told when an air tag that i don't know about is near me that's a thing but like this is not my air tag but this is an air tag that i'm fine with being nearby because it's like on my wife's keys right like that's that should be. That's a very common use case that you think that they'd want to solve for. Look at that for air tags too. Yeah, <laughs> they're saving it for the second gen. Yeah. So, so I that... think on to the big, the big, uh, the big thing in the the big the elephant in the room, right? The the thing that we all came here for. Yeah, no new iPhones this year. It was amazing. Right. Nice. That that was it. The la- that was last year, wasn't it? We had a, like an Apple Watch event, and then that was it, and uh-huh. like nothing else was announced during that event. Yeah, they like it? dribbled it Do out over the that? course of yeah Perfect. a while. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we did get iPhones this year. Uh, new iPhone, drumroll please, uh, twelve uh, plus R. Um, <laughs> no, no, iPhone thirteen. Apple's not superstitious. They're going for it. They're going. For they it. have a thirteen on their on their elevator button, and they and they have an iPhone thirteen. They're not afraid. Uh, and they're bringing back the mini for another year, uh, despite all the rumors of poor sales. So Apple, if you're listening yeah. to this, please keep the mini around. I'm not going to buy a mini this year because you made one hell of a iPhone 13 pro and I want that instead. But if you came out <laughs> with an iPhone mini with the, with the pro cameras, then that would be a different, a different, uh, set of equations going off in my head. 
uh, because I really, really love my iPhone mini. Um, so anyone who's considering a new iPhone, go try to go safely to an Apple store, get vaccinated first, then go to an Apple store, then try and hold an iPhone mini in your hand and realize what a bad mistake it was that we went to gigantic phones uh, because it is such a good form factor. Um, that is that is all I have to say about that. All that being said, he's buying an iPhone 13 Pro. <laughs> the cameras. You're getting we'll get the, to the pro No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All that being said, he's buying the iPhone Pro Max. Like, so yeah, the Mini's have... back for another year, which is great, right? For people who like it. I have the ginormous yep. one right now. Yeah, the Max. The are, 11 Pro Max. Are you uh, are you a carrier. are you a big iPhone person? Like, did you have the big iPhones even before that, or was that your first? I always had like the what is it, six plus. Okay, so you so had big the ones Ma- yeah, mainly the just to test that different form factor because it was different, mm-hmm. and then my wife would get the smaller ones. Okay, so that gave me two different device so you have, sizes. You have test uh, coverage. <laughs> with, um, I think my next one is definitely going to be the smaller Pro. Okay. I don't want the Max. I want something a little smaller. I mean, like this is a a hand workout to hold. Yeah. <laughs> it's so big. Get the Mini. So, the Mini is so nice. I so like tiny. I like the screen size. It just hand mm-hmm. fatigue and stuff. I don't know. I, I, I am minorly tempted. So, like, I I had the six plus, and then I actually sold it mid cycle to buy the smaller phone because I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and then I didn't have another big phone until the eleven. I had the eleven Pro Max, like like you have. Uh, Paul, and then when I went to the twelve, I I went down to the just the regular like twelve, the the red one, which is actually not that red. Which which the cool thing is the iPhone thirteen is coming in a real full blown looks like anyway actual red like red rails and a red red back glass, not this like peachy pinky salmony hmm. like color that they have instead. Um, but uh, but I had the eleven pro eleven pro max. Um, and I liked it, but it was heavy, and yeah. it was also uh, just unwieldy, large. Um, and when they went to the to the MagSafe, I really wanted to get a pop socket again because I really like them. But I didn't want to have to stick one on permanently because it would mess with the. I really enjoy like the MagSafe charging and stuff. So earlier this year, pop socket came out with a MagSafe um, pop socket, so that you can it it actually attaches both to the ring of magnets and also to the sort of little like bar of magnets below so not only does it stick really well but it also doesn't like rotate freely on the back of the phone which would be annoying um so i found it to hold really well like i can you know i can hold the phone up this way so i'm kind of tempted to try the max again because i do think that the 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 battery life was amazing and the screen was nice to have the big screen and i'm thinking that some of it would be mitigated by the fact that i can hold it with the pop socket but probably what's going to happen is if i were to do that i would eventually just be like yeah this is why do I keep doing this to myself? This is too, this is too big. It's too heavy. I you know I I just it's more than I need. Um, so I'll probably go with like the thirteen regular Pro rather than the Max. Yeah, the one downside to the Mini, like other than it just being smaller, like you can bring mm-hmm. it closer to your face. It appears bigger that way. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, is the battery life is right. rough. Um, right. and that's usually fine in a world where we have like tons of chargers everywhere. Um, and right. I'm not like going out, uh, for an extended period of time and like know that I won't be able to charge. 
uh, and the little battery pack uh, kind of helps with that. Um, but yeah, the battery the battery is rough on the mini, which is good because this year we're getting one and a half hours more uh, mm-hmm. on the mini, and then two and a half hours more on the standard uh, from like their baselines of last year. But I think the twelve, the iPhone twelve had like rough battery life around uh, like for everyone. Is that did yeah, both of my, you feel that? My twelve definitely has not. Uh, it was pretty good at the beginning. It's it's gotten seemingly a little bit worse uh, throughout the year that I've had it. And in fact, if I go into the battery settings and go look at the health, I'm at 88% maximum capacity from what it was when it was brand new. And I feel like a 12% drop in capacity over like pretty much exactly a year seems a little high. Like it seems like a lot of a lot of a pretty large reduction in in battery capacity. Um, And I don't I don't charge it. I don't think I charge it like too often. I basically, mm. charge it overnight. On I have what are a, your, what's your capacity at? It's eighty-eight percent. Okay. Lost my 12%. iPhone eleven Pro Max is eighty-seven percent. Yeah, and you've had it since I would assume the elevens came out, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So you've had it a whole other year longer, and you're at like one percent less than mine. So, uh, yeah. So I think maybe they don't hold up quite as well. Interesting. Um, which is which is particularly kind of annoying because coming from the 11 Pro Max, which had like, in my opinion, like an insane amount of battery, it was like always, it was I was pretty much always ending the day with at least 40 to 50 percent. I mean, I'd only use maybe like half at most. Um, whereas this thing, I can I can get it down into like the under 30 percent range by like dinner time, without even necessarily using it a ton. Um, so I'm interested to see. Uh, you know how how well these like if these improvements they talk about are actually you know if they're true. Yeah, mine mine is regularly in the fifteen percent range, like towards <laughs> the end of the day, yes. um, which is like fine because I never I don't be I'm not plugging it in like at all during the day. Like it's right. just on my desk or mm-hmm. in my pockets. I'm using mm-hmm. it like constantly throughout the day, so uh, it's I'm not. I don't think that it should be any better. It is a smaller device, uh, right. but it is going to be nice to have uh, something a little better. And it seems like it's because the new devices are thicker uh, and right. are uh, heavier than the iPhone. Right. Something uh, we actually forgot line. to mention in the in the Apple Watch that I thought was a particularly nice call out is that they on the Apple Watch Series Seven, uh, forty five minutes to get from zero to eighty percent. Yeah, the fast uh, charging, charge. Right? Fast charging, so they improve the charging system on the Apple Watch. Um, and even, I think they said five minutes or eight minutes, some, something along those eight lines. Eight minutes, minutes to get eight hours of yeah. like, runtime. Uh, well, eight minutes to get eight hours night. of nighttime, like sleep yeah. time. <laughs> so like <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, if it's low at the end of the day, you can throw it on your charger for 10 minutes while you're brushing your teeth or something, and then put it back on to sleep with, and it can track an entire night's worth of sleep, which is if that was... Well, so that was a really cool, like specific use case that they kind of built a charging scenario around. Because I do think that that has become a pretty popular um, use case. Is people they wear it during the day for whatever, and then at, at night they wear it specifically for sleep tracking. Um, and I think that's cool that they kind of built a charging scenario around that, knowing that people are going to do that. That's something I really like about the watch is that Apple seems to have really paid attention to the things people actually use the watch for, and then they've mm-hmm. tried to kind of specialize the watch around those use cases. Whereas if you like look at like the Series Zero original Apple Watch launch, it they was didn't know like, what to do with it, really. Yeah, like all over the place. So 
cool that they've that they've they've kind of boiled it down to the things that people really want. So I, anyway, not to distract from the iPhone, but I just I wanted to point out that that it was cool that they specifically addressed charging with the watch. Mm-hmm. And if you if you do upgrade your watch like every year or every two years, um, like a lot of us do, you can always use your old Apple Watch at night. Yeah. Um, sure, yeah. which is something I do. Like <laughs> your I use day my watch and your night watch. Uh, yeah, my day watch, which is my new one, and then uh, when I get ready for bed, like my day watch right. usually has just died. Um, at mm-hmm. which point I put it on the charger and I grab my older two-year-old watch, uh, and I use that one at night, uh, and then in the morning I swap again. So, um, like, just because you have an older watch, like m- maybe you can't give it to anyone because the battery is much. Uh, is like not as great as it was when it was new, especially if it's like two years old. Um, you can still keep it and use it um, yeah. and get some use out of it. So uh, you won't get the fancy like heart attack tracking when you're sleeping uh, kind of functionality. Right. Not that that's like what it does. Uh, yeah. Like whatever the limitations are of that model that you're going to be right. using. But um, it is a good use case for an older Apple Watch if you want to continue using it and feel like you're not just adding to tech trash over time so back to the iphone 13 uh smaller but slightly taller notch they didn't really call this out at all in the keynote but that's that is the case it's a it's i heard 20 percent uh sort of less wide skinnier but it's slightly taller than the previous notch Um, think of all the pixels you now have available yeah so slightly taller but like by hairline yeah but but thinner like not as wide um so does that affect pixels or is that well, yeah, it does so add more, more pixels. pixels to the screen. Yeah, more pixels that aren't underneath the notch. So. For the for the height, though? Oh, uh, I don't know how much taller. I think it's a tiny like amount. Like two pixels, I would yeah. say. Two points um, um, at most. Um, and I think the reason why they did this is, again, on the Mini, uh, there's actually not enough room on right. the control center part like with right. all the widgets there. Yeah. Uh, they do crash into the notch. So I think uh, it's mostly... They just move things a little tiny bit just to make right. a tiny bit more room in those scenarios the larger phones obviously they had plenty of room right. um but since they did it there they probably brought the the same arrangement for the cameras all the way up right so 1200 peak nits uh brightness and then 800 uh, nits for ui when the content is outside um a they just describe it as apple custom oled so not totally clear what that means but does this mean Samsung is not making their OLEDs like anymore. Like in-house OLED, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of unclear, but that's kind of what it sounds like. Or at least, at, if not in-house, at least it's something that like maybe they designed the screen and they're just having someone else create it for them and manufacture it. But it's 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 something that that is actually designed by Apple. Um, yeah. Then they, then they sort of properly uh, show off the A15 Bionic, which they had actually already showed us uh, in the mini, but but it didn't talk about it. So. Uh, New 16 core core neural engine with something like 15 trillion calculations per second or something, some just like truly insane number of of raw horsepower in the neural engine. Uh, two new high performance cores and four high efficiency cores. Um, a new display engine. New, which I thought this was really interesting. New video encoders and decoders should be interesting. Maybe that means we'll get like better battery life out of watching YouTube and other videos, perhaps, if it's more efficient. I think so. Which is cool. They've extended the battery life by a lot. Yeah. At least compared to the iPhone 11 that I have. So. Right. Uh, double the system cache, um, a new image signal processor, and then, of course, this the neural engine that we talked about is now faster than the previous one, which is kind of nuts because the, the A14 chip was already a beast of a chip um, and could do amazing things and was already kind of 
pulling ahead of a lot of the competition. So the A15 is just sort of an additional dunk on top of that. <laughs> and they even said as much that kind of when they talked about it, that, you know, our chips, even our old chips are faster than some of the competition. And so we're, we're pulling even the leading ahead. composition. Do you think the leading competition was the iPhone 12? In this case? <laughs> yes, that would be pretty funny if they were, if in the, <laughs> they don't say who it is, right? But they, they could be, it's like, actually we're competing against ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Diagn- I think we'll see modest like improvements uh, this time around because yeah. usually they call out how much of an improvement is right. from the previous year, right? Right. Yeah. Um, did they mention if it was a five nanometer process? They rather did. Than yeah. A so it is five nanometer, which I th- I want to say the fourteen was seven. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So they've they've shrunk another two nanometers, which is pretty cool. Um, and something that lots of companies have not been able to figure out. So. Uh, mm-hmm. interesting that they got that far diagonal cameras this time so rather than on the iphone 12 series phones uh the cameras were vertically aligned straight up and down these are sort of catty corner now they're they're diagonal across the like the square sort of foot on the back of the phone they're now diagonal and then they put the the flash and the microphone sort of again on the other two corners of that of that square um, a 26 millimeter focal length on the wide lens with sensor shift, which is pretty cool. They brought this sensor sort of uh, technology where the sensor itself can actually move to combat against sh- um, motion, like you know, handshake or whatever. Uh, that was in the previous Pro series phones. They've brought that down to the iPhone 13 and 13 mini, um, which is pretty cool. It's, it's nice that they kind of take the tech and as they as it matures they they democratize it down into the the lower uh the lesser expensive versions of their devices um slightly heavier and thicker um and then really cool again something that i wouldn't have thought only would have been maybe available in the pro models but actually it's coming to all uh 13 series phones cinematic mode which creates um shallow depth of field you can do rack focus and you can shift that, which is shifting the focus from, let's say, near to far or far to near. Um, a really common thing done in, in movies. And now you can actually do that um, on your device. And you can control it yourself. Um, but you can also let the phone do it for you, which is bonkers. They talked about things like, let's say you're recording someone and they're near, they're near the camera. So their face is perhaps filling a decent portion of the of the frame and they're looking towards the camera or at least they're looking sort of in the general direction of the camera lens and then they shift their eyes and look away from the camera the system will dynamically shift the focus from them to bring them slightly out of focus and then focus instead on the things that are behind them Uh, a technique that would be commonly seen in a movie if, if that was kind of a scene they were setting up but kind of amazing that the camera at real time while recording is sort of watching the scene and using what I imagine is probably a machine learning algorithm to infer that, oh, they've moved, and so now we want to change the focus dynamically uh, to, to focus on something else, which is pretty amazing. Like, Because when they talked about rack focus, I was like, this is really cool, but this is a very nerdy like cinematographer thing. I don't know that bringing this to the phone is going to make much difference to like regular people, but the fact that it, in many cases, can work automatically is pretty awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you can do that now while you're recording a video. You tap right. somewhere else, and it'll just focus on that. Right. And then you tap on your other subjects, and it'll come back. Um, but what they're doing here is quite interesting. Originally, I thought that it was just like an automatic version of what I just described. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, when they first showed the demo of it, it kind of 
uh, overshot the focus and then mm-hmm. like came back a little mm-hmm. bit and did a little wobble. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked like that was an optical focus. Like mm-hmm. that's the camera trying to find the focal point mm-hmm. um, as it's doing that. But what seems to be happening is it will record at a shallow depth of field, meaning everything is in focus. Mm-hmm. And it will use machine learning, basically what they have for portrait mode, uh, to go ahead and get a depth map of the entire mm-hmm. scene mm-hmm. and dynamically add like blur after the fact Mm. um so this is using the this is the portrait kind of rumors that we are hearing portrait for video right uh this is exactly that it's it's doing portrait on a frame by frame uh like cadence um and it only works up to 30 frames per second that's the key piece here um and it will go ahead and do this all dynamically which means after the fact you can change your mind you can say hey i didn't want it to focus there i wanted to focus here right um and you can choose how how much uh blur to use you have control over all of that right um which means that if it did a bad job, you can probably just say, eh, you can let's correct not it. Focus. Yeah. Because <laughs> as, as we know, right, portrait, portrait mode and like the bokeh effect that it creates doesn't always get things right. Um, and so, if especially for... the triangles, yeah, right, <laughs> these guys. For for me, the thing that's annoying is if you have like a closed loop or anything, mm-hmm. that loop on portrait right. does not get right. the effect. So any and even like other doesn't even have to be fully closed. I, I was just taking a couple i don't even know what i was shooting i think it was gardening stuff so i was shooting some uh plants and like it was just mm. putting weird effects and i'm like mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> yeah yeah the leaves it gets very confused with right so this i guess being able to maybe even sort of fix the the algorithm's inability to get it perfect because you can mm-hmm. you can do that something that that several years I ago, hope it's better yeah something that several years ago was really only available to you in like specialized hardware right which was there a camera came up called the Lytro camera which was all about like it's going to take in tons and tons of information when it takes a photograph and then use their like special software and you can just change the depth of field and the focal point however you want after and it's sort of very fluid like wherever you click. It'll mm-hmm. just move the focus to that thing after the fact, which at the time was, holy crap, this is an amazing thing, right? And now it's interesting that, like, not only is that available to us on our regular sort of smartphone, but even it's available for video, which is pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, Lytro did kind of toy with having a 360-degree video camera that did this, and mm-hmm. it was specialized hardware because it was recording the angle of the photons coming in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just taking a picture and then estimating right. depth. Right. Uh, it's actually recording like how the light is entering. It has no concept of depth, actually. Right. It's just recording. Hey, like this is where the light's coming from. Yeah. So this is how it's going to focus. Um, so you can change all of that afterwards. Um, but this is all doing it with like machine learning algorithms, and I think a little bit of pixel shift, um, mm. probably from the other camera, um, to kind of okay. get an idea of rudimentary depth. Right. But it's on the iPhone 13 and not the iPhone 13 Pro that has a lidar scanner. Right. Um, so it actually has no concept of what the d- actual depth of the scene is. It's all in machine learning. Interesting. Um, and yeah, right. I guess it's it, it'll be improved uh, right. for all devices, really. Uh, they improve it for one and it improves for all. So then photographic styles. I think maybe I understood this one the least um, as far as like what it's actually doing and how it It's, it's like filters, but while you're taking, right? Not quite. So what the iPhone currently does is when you take a picture... 
it combines a bunch of actual pictures right. into one right. and it segments everything separately. So it's going to grade the sky differently mm-hmm. than it's going to grade your face, mm-hmm. differently than it's going to grade your clothing, differently than it's going to grade the stuff in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this does is it gives you a bit of control over how it grades each of these different layers. So it's okay. not going to give you like full manual uh, control over this entire process, but it is going to give you more control where you can go ahead and grade the subject of the photo differently than from the sky, for instance. Um, right. So if you war- make the photo warmer, it's not going to change the color of the things around right. the subject. It's just going to mess with the subject. So you might so argue that like in the previous versions of this, the system is, you know, it's what, 12 or 13 steps, whatever it is like this, all these steps mm-hmm. that it takes to sort of perfect the the picture you might argue that like mm-hmm. that creates sort of like the iphone picture like it's it's the picture that yeah. gets created in the style it's the look and feel of iphone right whereas now with the photographic styles there's more options and so rather than than everybody on the planet with an iphone 12 producing pictures that look the same from a style point of view uh this or an aesthetic point of view right this can kind of give the photographer mm-hmm. a little bit more uh customization options so that instead of just being one style it's now like a variety of them yeah and it remembers it um, right across like launches um so once you set your style all your pictures will kind of have that style, kind of becomes yours great. rather than like the iphone mm-hmm. yeah exactly cool so it starts at 128 gigabytes of storage which is a boost in size i believe the previous uh, low end tier was 64 so that's nice to see that they bumped that up um with no no real change in price they're offering pink blue midnight starlight and red uh the product red one Properly read this time with an actual red back, which is at least that's what it looks like from the red. Just we'll see how it looks in real life, but it looked properly read in the pictures. Um, six ninety nine and, and seven, just six ninety nine. And I was just gonna say, oh, right. just, just like just like you were mad at the last year's red. Uh, my wife is a connoisseur of pink, I should ah, say, nice, uh, and she likes the color pink. Uh, and she's like, this is not pink. Uh, just like the pink iMac, which is the red iMac uh-huh. with like a slightly pink yeah, front, yeah. is not pink. Uh, she she was offended by the so, fact that they so called how is this, this one not pink? pink what's, what's the not pink? It's about light it? red if you look at the values. Oh, okay, got it's, it. So like it's kind of a blush ish color, ah. uh, but it is not what many would consider pink. Uh, so oh yeah, I'm looking uh, at it now. do if, keep that in mind if yeah. if you've only heard it in audio form. It's, right. it's not as pink as you might think. Interesting, it would be. So I said that's why you put yeah. pink in quotes in our show notes, right? Like. Yeah, just like last year, it was red. It was quotes. red and show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so six ninety nine for the mini and seven ninety nine for the um, for the regular thirteen. At least that's the starting price. If you go up in storage, of course, uh, it's going to cost more. Uh, between one and a half and two and a half hours better battery compared to the previous gen. Pre order on Friday, um, and the first batch delivers the next week. So again, unlike the Apple Watch, we actually know when we can buy it, and we know when we're going to get it. Nice. Uh, and that leads directly into iPhone thirteen Pro. Uh, which comes with a fancy Super Retina XDR display. Um, And this kind of leads back to the new display engine that the A15 has, uh, because uh, this model of iPhone has a promotion. Um, And it's a special kind of promotion. Instead of just having like 30, 60, and 120 hertz, which I believe is what the iPad had. Uh, So basically it would dynamically switch between these uh, different cadences, but this uh, this promotion kind of adaptively changes uh, based on what you're doing. So it's more of an evolution of the watch uh, promotion where it kind of slowed it down to one hertz. So that way you can have the always on display. 
Um, I think it's probably an evolution of that, um, where the the frame rate is entirely dynamic, it seems. Um, I don't know if it still needs to ramp by like different orders of magnitude. It seemed that way based on the demos. Um, but like from a technological point of view, it makes a lot more sense for it to just be completely dynamic when the frame is ready, show it kind of thing. So does that mean that like if we were watching a 24 frames per second movie... Um, that It'd be it, in 24 it cadence, be but in 24, yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. all interactions, like if you're moving UI around, that would be at 60. If that makes sense, like so, it would seem like it was at 60. Got it. Okay. So. Or it would be a multiple of 24, which 120 is a perfect multiple of all of these. Right. Uh, so, okay. Like everything would seem smooth. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Right. And and in the iPad and the iPad version of this. It it, mm-hmm. it you had uh, I guess fewer number of brackets right you only had a few choices um, I think so yes and then the 120 hertz thing I I believe it was mostly something that you would get with when you were using the pencil so that you could get better better response of as you drag the pencil across the screen you get more of a kind of a fluid and immediate reaction to the to the line that you create um, mm-hmm. and then also I think you said that um, it was they would jack up the the refresh when you were scrolling so that you get nice even more buttery sort of smooth scrolling Mm -hmm. out of it but otherwise kind of yeah you you needed to ask for faster like refresh rate okay um but the basic ui controls basically did this for you um and turned it back off when you finished interacting with them okay whereas this version it seems like it's directly connected into the input system so Mm -hmm. as you are interacting it's just going to go at the speed that your finger is moving. Okay. Um, so if your finger is moving slowly, it's going to go at a slower frame rate uh, versus if you are moving your finger quickly across the screen. So and that seems really neat that it's completely like tied in right. in, this, in these and different ways. Presumably that means, isn't. too, like if you're on YouTube and you watch like a 4K60 versus a 4K30 versus a 24 frames per second like movie kind of trailer, right? That in theory, the app probably doesn't have to do anything super special to tell the phone mm-hmm. that it needs those frame rates, the video probably is going to be just sort of set up like, oh, I get what this is. I'm going to, you know, adapt accordingly. As long as you're not the YouTube app and you completely rewrite everything from <laughs> yeah, well, scratch. That was a bad example, Whereas, I guess. <laughs> which is probably why we have those new video encoders and decoders, right? right. Um, like iOS 14 got support for VP9, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, or was it 15? I've been on the betas for so long. I think I it was remember. 14. But it might have been 15 years. I'm I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, a lot of the new stuff in the chip itself is probably going to offload a lot of just direct CPU processing. Right. Um, And one of those is ProRes Capture, because on the Pro models of the iPhone 13, you can capture in ProRes. And if you don't know what ProRes is, it's basically uh, what professional video workflows will use to kind of retain as much quality as possible in a compressed format. Um, because uncompressed video is ginormous. Right. Um, so you need some compression, but uh, for the most part, uh, you can compress fairly well and still be able to edit the footage right. um, using ProRes as an encoder uh, or a codec, basically. Um, but the iPhone and iOS in general hasn't had ProRes support uh, up until now. Uh, even Even the iPad with the M1, that same M1 that can run on a computer that has ProRes support. Uh, so, uh, so it's last year, right? We got we got Dolby Vision at sixty and thirty frames per second on on different yeah. devices. So, what what is the difference between Dolby Vision and ProRes for people who don't know? So, Dolby Vision is purely uh, 
a specification saying that your video has uh, 10 bits of color um, and it has a high dynamic range okay. um, on a scene by scene basis. Uh, ProRes, um, so for the Dolby Vision case, this video could be at 8 megabits per second or at uh, 512 kilobits per second. Like whatever mm. you want to encode your video at, it can be at that bit rate. Uh, ProRes, however, is generally at a much higher bit rate, and we're talking about like 300 uh, megabits wow. per second for ProRes uh, 422 4K content. Um, and that's but the, it's that's, not like a consumer. Like, yeah, you don't want to be sharing files format. like this willy nilly. It's just for content creation versus yeah. Dolby Vision, which is for consuming. So that's like when you're watching Game of Thrones or something like that, you want it in that high dynamic range so that you have the bright brights and the the vivid colors so yeah prores is kind of hdr agnostic in a way it's just recording the data um, and then you're free to interpret that data any way you want because it contains all that detail whereas if you were to record at dolby vision like with an older iphone at dolby vision uh levels of quality that might look great but if you try to change the color afterwards you're going to now get banding because you're bringing color from nothing right uh whereas the prores version would have that color still encoded. So, like with the with with Dolby Vision, right? You talked about it being ten bit, and that is I'm I think I'm getting this right. That is considered bit depth, right? Which basically is how yeah. many bits is it using to represent Steps of color? Color, and so the more bits you have, the more room you have to describe color individually. Therefore, the wider gamut of colors you can represent. Um, whereas if you had eight bit, you'd have literally less space to store a given color value. Therefore. Mm-hmm. The difference between colors would be would be not as great, right? So, yep. so you can't, like you said, right? You can't necessarily express um, the color in the way that you'd want to to create that really vivid uh, sort of separation. Yeah, and ProRes is six up to sixteen bit to give you oh, an wow. idea of okay. like mm. the the level headroom there, right? Um, so you're recording a whole lot more information. Uh, you're preserving that information through the encoding process. Like, even if you have 10 bits, if you're encoding that at 2 megabits per second, you now have blocks all over the place. Um, right. And those are 10-bit blocks, but they're still blocks. <laughs> but they're still, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, with ProRes, you generally have a lot more headroom there. There's different flavors of ProRes, one for, like, lower-quality proxy media and mm-hmm. one for you actually want to be editing with this. Um, and even that, like most, most, um, like film studios, they'll do work in ProRes, but then they're going to re-encode the movie using the originals. Right. Um, so even this is not enough, quote unquote, um, depending on who's like putting the movie together. Um, but the fact that the phone can now record in this, it makes it a real player, um, in the right. space. Which they actually showed as if you, anybody who's listening, if they ha- if you haven't seen the, the portion of the keynote where they show off um, Catherine Bigelow actually using it. She's an Academy Award winning director using it to sort of record. It looked kind of like a short that they, she was making, um, but basically record sort of a small movie using iPhones on sort of like these sticks that they created with mounts on them. Um, really, really cool that, that you're able to get what she got out of it uh, using basically just, just an iPhone. Like not even she, there weren't even, there weren't even like fancy sort of stick on lenses or anything. It was just basically, you know, just an iPhone 13 pro and that's it um, recording this content. So very cool. Um, So available in four colors, Sierra blue, graphite, gold, and silver, Um, gold and silver are are, are carryovers graphite. I'm not sure if the graphite is a different color than the previous 
ones, the, pre- the previous gray? They're always different. Ever so okay, slightly. so it's a slightly different gray, and then kind of the special color. Um, last year it was, I don't remember the name of the blue, Pacific Blue, Midnight I think? Blue. Pacific Blue. Yeah. Um, and so this year's blue is Sierra Blue. The Pacific Blue is a lot darker. This one's a lot lighter, like a sky blue, which I think is actually very pretty. I'm, if I get the Pro, I'm probably going to get the Sierra Blue. Um, Ceramic Guard Front Class, which is a which is fairly sort of an iteration less scratching right less scratching my phone yeah. is scratched to death yeah my my 12 is actually else. pretty scratched up too which which i'm that'll be good if that if that's uh if that's improved uh six core gpu um which means that there might be some bidding happening there um again the same one and a half and two and a half hour better battery uh compared to the previous gen um a 3x telephoto lens which is pretty cool 3x optical zoom Seven millimeter focal length, um, so a really great like portrait lens. It's it's the the focal length on it and the and the zoom and everything is all kind of set up to make it really really good at portraiture. Um, when they showed off some really amazing portrait shots in their examples, uh, the ultra wide has autofocus. There's also now a, officially a macro photography mode, which is pretty cool. You can get up to two centimeter close ups. Which oh, is super cool. Super nice. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for that. And even the regular wide lens is also improved. Essentially, the entire three lens camera system has been improved all the way around. Um, and uh, like we said before, ProRes capture mode. So a lot of a lot of good stuff. I in the in the comments that I was looking at when we were doing kind of a live chat, and I think also in some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter and whatever, people were like, meh, whatever. Like the people didn't seem to be that impressed with the 13 Pro, but there certainly are things in here that probably that maybe like the average person isn't going to care as much about, um, but still a pretty dang impressive set of improvements considering that the 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max was already an amazing phone, and even the 13 or the 11 before it was was amazing too. So so pretty awesome that they that they just continue to improve and make better uh, everything. And really, I think the story around the 13 Pro is all about the camera that so the camera yeah. the cameras themselves and then things like the sort of the support within the camera like ProRes support um is really kind of the, the star of the show and then things like the you know video encoders and stuff being improved on the chip all kind of create a story which is that this device is now a really serious uh camera system that you can use for all kinds of things and it's yeah. got better uh dark photography yeah so improved nighttime yeah improved nighttime yeah which is also and that's awesome. that's which is always really welcome for for me uh we had like the sun setting at a frisbee game and it was like i had my iphone and we could use like the extended exposure shot or whatever nice. it's doing the machine learning and it just it worked it's like other otherwise yeah. on an older device it would have been pitch black you right. seen anything. Right. they did also say so. too that for that specifically that they've improved the speed of that that mm-hmm. slow exposure that they're doing um so that because the the downside to using it like that right is like you have to hold the phone pretty pretty still right in order to get make mm-hmm. it be crisp and so if you can make that time less then there's less of a chance of the person holding the phone to shake it and then cause sort of a bad a bad photo so they've also they've they've quickened the the machine learning stuff that they're doing to make that whole time just be shorter so I think between mm-hmm. that, the macro lens, and the telephoto, it's that's like super exciting for me. Yeah, to upgrade. Yeah. The telephoto is definitely something I've missed uh, with the mini, and the only reason I took the jump on the mini is because I knew my wife was getting the the pro model. Right. Uh, so I knew we would have one good camera 
right. uh, of the two of us. And we've used her camera specifically as like, grab your camera right. uh, because that one's better because you can go ahead right. uh, and get closer. Um, and with the addition of the macro photography, like that is something that really drew me to buying a camera. Like it was a, a point and shoot, but a fancier mm-hmm. one. Um, and that's something that drew me to buying that specific model 20 years ago. Uh, what feels like 20 years ago <laughs> at this point. Um, and that's something I sorely missed with the iPhone. Like, yes, you can get like special lenses to futz around with it, but you end up with like a little circle around your pictures mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't line up with the sensor very well. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having uh, like proper macro photography. And that's that's why I'm probably going to get the Pro model despite thinking that it's like aircraft carrier size compared to <laughs> and like i i switch on like a daily basis between my little tiny one and my wife's much larger one whenever we need to take pictures and check things out on each other's devices and she is lusting after my small phone and i am and we both like the cameras on the bigger one uh so like I, I really hope that Apple can kind of crack the nut on having an iPhone Pro Mini uh, in the future. However, if you compare the size of the camera like module on the Pro, like if you take a look at the Mini here, like for anyone watching on YouTube, you can kind of see uh, my camera here. Uh, the, the cameras on the Mini like go up to roughly the halfway point. If you were to put the Pro module on here, it would go up to where my finger is, which is just ridiculous on yeah, the size. Yeah, being like mostly camera. Phone. Yeah. Um, and you don't really think about that when you look at the back of the phone. It's like, yeah, it would right. just be a little bigger. No, it would be significantly bigger right. on that smaller phone. Um, so that there are probably still like silly limitations, like impracticalities right. uh, there from Apple's point of view. Uh, that would prevent them from doing that. Like MagSafe just wouldn't work anymore. Right. It, w- it would not align, uh, for instance. So um, I w- hope that they don't give up on the Mini too early, uh, thinking that, oh, people don't want it. They're just buying these other devices. Um, and on Twitter, I started a poll. Like, if there was a hypothetical um, like iPhone Pro Mini, would you prefer that over the other models? All things uh, kind of kept the same. So... Uh, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. And if you are curious to see what other people think, uh, go ahead and vote and share that. So that way we can get a big sample size. Because I I don't think I'm the only one that really likes the small form factor, but also wants uh, the better features that come with the Pro model. Yeah. I I don't ever see them doing that. Yeah, me me neither. (laughs) I don't either, unfortunately. But I think it's something that that certainly would be an interesting device. Um, but I would say that if, if we get, if we get 13 mini sales, if they are the same as the rumored sales were for the 12 mini, I would venture to guess that the 13 mini might be the last mini phone just because why would Apple at the scale they run at, why would they continue to support something that is such a, such a small percentage of their overall iPhone sales? Um, yeah. So starting at 999 for the, uh, 13 pro and 1099 for the pro max at the lowest, uh, tier of storage. Did they up this to 128 as well? I don't remember. Yeah, they did. Okay. 128, 256, 512, and, and one terabyte. One terabyte now. Yeah. So I think I, I think I read for the, is it the Pro Max? I think the top line number is like sixteen hundred dollars if you get the one terabyte Pro Max, um, which is a lot of money for a phone. But uh, then again, Samsung selling folding phones for like over two grand. So you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, so in general, though, for the phone sizes that probably most people will buy. They didn't increase the price. It's the same nine ninety nine and ten ninety nine. Um, 
for what I would argue is a, is definitely a better better phone overall. So good job, good job, Apple. And and also, uh, if you do plan on getting this to record video, uh, do consider the larger sizes because I believe the ProRes is limited on the 128 gigabyte model. And this is because ProRes is ginormous, right. uh, and you will probably wear out the SSD super quickly if you were to consider right. like recording in ProRes um, with an iPhone. Uh, and not to mention, like, if you want to use iPhones for like capturing video, turn off like iCloud Photo and all that because then it's going to kind of get stuck in a queue, eat up and gobble space, right. and that you'll never be able to recover. Um, so, like, have a dedicated device for your. Uh, long-term filming needs that is like outside yeah. of just filming a quick video. Um, so pro pro tip. So you think that they're going to discontinue the mini? I, I would, if, if the numbers, if, if the sales numbers of the 12, that these are just rumored numbers, right? They don't actually break out mm-hmm. in their revenue reports. They don't break out like individual uh, models or anything. But if the rumored sales numbers on the iPhone 12 mini are true and if those sales numbers continue into the iPhone 13 mini, it doesn't seem likely that Apple... I mean, because we're talking about Apple selling tens of millions of, you know, uh, or what is it? Like 80 million devices in a year or whatever. I mean, it's just like some... Or over 100 million. Like, it's just an insane amount of devices being sold in a given year. Um, and if that percentage, if the mini percentage is really, really tiny, I just don't... It's. I'm sure from manufacturing R and D and manufacturing perspective, it, it costs them a lot for every device that's in their portfolio to make, uh, and continuing to upgrade the mini when when so few people sort of vote with their dollars and say that they want it, it just doesn't seem like they would keep. Kind of like around. the iPad Mini. I mean, my take on it is, but they're hitting all these different price points. So you look yeah, at the second generation iPhone SE; they're still selling that for three ninety nine. It's true. iPhone yeah. twelve I, mini is five ninety nine. I iPhone... don't think the iPhone mini is like selling for a price point because otherwise, more people would have bought it over the iPhone twelve. Yeah, that is at the same price, right? Like there, there is something like again. I think this is something wrong with what Apple's doing, where they have like this plethora of device options. Like it's too much choice uh, mm. in a way. They're not opinionated in like what they're offering, uh, and therefore like certain things are just being neglected as a result. Like why would you want the smaller one? Like well, this I mean, really is friends, a device. My friends all want like the tiniest little toy phone. Because they don't like well, big phones, so they've been annoyed that uh, like the 5s or like the iPod Touch size device sort of went away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the SE and the Mini are kind of like the legacy of that yeah. small form factor. Mm-hmm. But like we we are a, a numbered bunch, if that makes sense. Like we are not the the mass population. I think the mass population. It really needs to feel like a smaller device to like want like want it. It's not an easy sell. Like, hey, this is something smaller that you need to pay more for for some reason. Um, where they can get something that's uh, has more gigabytes um, and it's cheaper, uh, and that would be like the last year's model. And I think that's a lot easier to sell, uh, unfortunately. Um, and maybe Apple's hoping, hey, this year like COVID will be done. People can come to the store and yeah. try. Like try these out. Right. This will be the the chance for the mini to kind of uh, get some momentum, and that does not look like it's going to happen this year. That could um, that could be 
I think you're right that people need so maybe to we see, have one more year. <laughs> see the mini in person to kind of understand its value, like the, the specific mm-hmm. value proposition that it gives you. If you're so like Paul, if if you're a person who just like really wants a small phone, right? You know that. But if you're if you're more like on the fence, you might go, well, like yeah, I could be interested in a small phone, but like how small is it? Is it too small, right? So if you go into the store and you can actually hold it and understand what it is, that probably would help you out. But uh, something that I that you just pointed out that that now makes sense, but I didn't connect the dots originally was like the tw- the original the mini the twelve mini was released in the age of COVID where you couldn't go see it in person. You had to like go on the website at, at what is it six a.m. or whatever it is in the East Coast and and pre order your phone and you have to just go. Uh, well, I guess I'll do the mini. Like it, you know, it's it's a lot harder potentially of a sell for people who are on the fence. And so maybe if we were in a scenario where people could regularly go in and, and actually put their hands on it, uh, maybe that would Im- maybe that would improve the sales because it would it would show people this is what you're actually getting. Like whatever you think it might be, it might be too small, maybe it might not be what you want. Actually, here's what it really is. Um, but I do think I agree with you, uh, Dimitri. That like the chances of that happening anytime soon are probably not that high. So I, I, yeah, you know. I don't know. Uh... I guess I don't. I don't think you need to go to the store to feel this. Like no. my friend was waiting forever yeah. for a new small phone, and the the minute the mini was announced, he ordered it. So I, I and think he's been it happy. Serves a, what he's been happy with it, like since actually owning it. I mean, he wanted smaller. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I I would honestly take an iPhone four sized phone that's all screen over this this size wow. like this size is still feels too big in a way uh-huh but it I is mean, they, way they better their, than their bigness or their yeah. smallness yeah they did have their smallness that's true <laughs> so but yeah, i okay. mean that makes it nicer for apps in my opinion because right. working with that small width does become it's a not a small tricky. width that's the key piece this is an iphone 10 that's right i i it's, mean it's no different like res that's the new normal though right that's so mm-hmm. because it gives you more space as the developer and the vert like the vertical is nicer the mm-hmm. the width is a little bit nicer than being on the old iphone se first generation and that one's mm-hmm. like a real pain in the butt to design for when you got all these bigger phones it's just like controls don't fit <laughs> so mm-hmm. You have to do some custom logic to squash things down, which is challenging. I mean, I don't don't forget about the display. Uh, I forget what they're called. The display mode uh, settings, like all iPhones, can be run at a three twenty uh, pixel or point uh, compatibility mode, and a surprising amount of people use them in the, this mode. So you can't you stop the designing mode? for that. Does that do that? Yeah, the zoom mode. Yeah, yep. that will put it at a lower resolution. Um, and that is, but can you, like, you have to design for that. that resolution or is it just a on off? It's an on off. You either get the native resolution or you get a 320 resolution. Really? So it's doing a yeah. 320. Yeah. It might be the one up from the, the 320, but it's, it's basically what we've had since the beginning of iPhones. Well, that's why if you um, look at, sometimes when you look at like the things that you have, the resolutions that you have to support as a developer, they actually sometimes mm-hmm. will specifically call out that compatibility mode. They're like, Oh, finally, we can drop this smaller width. It's like ah, no, because it's still there because compatibility mode is still there, even though the device itself is larger. Uh, the thing can be run at a at a, a, a lower resolution. 
and tons of people use it because when you launch an iPhone for the first time, it's do you want this right. this version where you can't see anything Zoomed or in, this or you, version yeah. where everything is nice <laughs> yeah, and big? Right. Uh, and people that have like aging vision, they're yeah. going to pick the zoomed in version. Like, right. why not start there? Right. Um, so that's that's a surprising amount of people, uh, and you can't just ignore it. So mm-hmm. the mini, which has like its default mode, is already like quite small. Um, but it has the same resolution as the iPhone X, which is relatively recent. Um, so you are not like you are not hampered in any way to design for the iPhone Mini. Um, and I, I want to like quell that from anyone who is potentially afraid of it existing. Uh, it really is not a difficult device to target. It's basically in the middle of everything. The iPhone Mini is a nice size to target, I would say. The legacy iphone sc first generation is less so yeah mm-hmm. it's fair so totally fair. but like the the whole like zoom mode is also opt-in like we don't we don't currently support that uh at gopro i don't think you have to so. i mean what you have you're showing something <laughs> you either, you're either supporting it well or supporting it poorly that's that's what it comes down to i don't think we change anything i just turned it on so I think it's just one of those APIs that you you have to opt in and and do stuff for. No, what I'm saying is the the your app thinks it's running on a 320 like pixel. I'm probably wrong on the 320 part, um, but it thinks it's running on a lower resolution device. And so whatever you are accounting for in terms of like size, you're accounting for it. But there's nothing you can do to say I don't want that compatibility mode. Like hmm. you are just running in that environment. Okay, I'll have to look into that more because I am completely unaware of how that works. Yeah, it's 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 always a big surprise. <laughs> the, and and I'm sure there's tons of these like little features that we don't all keep track of as developers. Um, and unfortunately, we need to. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Hungry. Hungry, that's Hungry with three U's, is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app you turn to when you really want to eat, but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger. Hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors. No, it has a much more humble purpose. You tell it all about your favorite restaurants, and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced number random number generator, invoked by shaking your phone in frustration, to make the decision of where to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, something closer, or simply another option are a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U-N-G-R-Y on the App Store today to give it a try. So... Uh, now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, and uh, this week, we haven't had any submissions yet, mostly since we are recording a bit earlier. So let's go over the prompt once again. If you are listening to the podcast, please check the podcast art or the show notes to follow along. So Sw- since Swift's async await syntax is making its way to XO13, how would you transform the code below, which schedules a network call, lets us know the request was sent, and prints when the response is received, uh, to use the new async await pattern? So can you complete the code? Tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right will get a shout out on next week's show. 
And with all that out of the way, it's time for compiler error, uh, my favorite segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge all about Swift Apple and all things development. So this week we have a theme, uh, and that is the new autocomplete uh, functionality that's available in Xcode 13. Uh, so let's go through these one at a time. Uh, so statement number one, our favorite optional binding, if let, will now autocomplete existing optionals as the left-hand side of the binding as you type it. Statement number two, for loops will detect if you type the singular form of an existing collection type and autocomplete the entire statement for you. Statement number three, when calling functions, the editor will prioritize variables with similar names to the argument you are autocompleting to make getting through long argument lists easier. And statement number four, when dot chaining members of an expression like view.undoManager.canUndo, the editor will now allow you to skip and will automatically insert undoManager if you type view.canUndo. So uh, four improvements that came uh, to Xcode 13, uh, one of which is completely fictional that I made up. Uh, ben, why don't you start? Well, considering I just installed the Xcode 13 release candidate today and haven't messed with the betas hardly at all, um, <laughs> I'm pretty much uh, completely... All of these are welcome. <laughs> yeah, completely in the dark. And if these were all true, I'd be like, great. Um, but uh, if we go through them, the for loop one does seem like something they could do, right? If you type the singular form, it could detect the pluralized version of the collection and autocomplete it for you. That sounds reasonable. Um, prioritizing variables with similar names to the argument you are completing to make getting through long argument list easier. Also sounds semi-reasonable. Dot chaining seems the maybe the most implausible that like you could type in view.canundo and it will automatically insert the, the chained member in the middle there. Um, so I think I'm leaning towards four maybe, but uh, and then if let, so if you type if let, it's going to now autocomplete the existing optionals as the left-hand side of the binding as you type it. So basically, if, I re if I'm reading that correctly, kind of using the convention of binding the optional data to a non-optional constant that, is, that has the same uh, container name, it'll yep. do that for you. Um, it's the convention, and it's, it'd be cool if they, if they made that official sort of by putting it in autocomplete. Uh, so again, seems reasonable. I guess the thing that seems slightly implausible is number four, but I'm, I'm going to say that the difference between the four of them is, as far as the plausibility is, uh, very slim considering I don't, I don't really, I don't have any experience with any of these yet. So, uh, I'm going to go with number four, but I would say I'm, I'm not feeling super confident. And excellent choice. Uh, Paul? I'm a little confused on number three. So I know there's a, a feature coming where if you've typed a variable of a certain name, it will start showing functions that are going to have that word in the, mm. the completion. But the way this is worded, it's prioritizing... Do you need an example? What was that? Do you need an example? Is this when I'm adding in parameters, or is this? Yeah, so if you have a function like do something, and it has three parameters, A of type int, B of type int, and C of type int, and you have three variables, 
uh, that are already created called A of type int, B of type int, C of type int. Mm. When you're auto-completing A, it will suggest A. When you get to B, it'll suggest B. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if that one's in. Uh, I don't remember seeing that. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with that one as being and the not true. An equally excellent choice. Let's go through these in order, starting with number one, since you both agree. So our favorite optional binding, if let, will now autocomplete existing optionals as the left-hand side of the binding. So for instance, if you have an optional called uh, sheep uh, and you say, if let sh, it will automatically suggest sheep equals sheep. Um, and this will work in all sorts of op uh, optional binding uh, scenarios like guard, lets, stuff like that. Um, and uh, this is indeed true. Uh, this will, uh, in fact, happen. So this is super neat uh, and a welcome addition to uh, the editor because sometimes you just forget, like, hey, what was that variable that I wanted mm -hmm. to bind? And you no longer have the autocompletion to help you uh, figure that out. So you need to, like, go back and get the variable name and then copy-paste it. Um, so this will kind of take care of all that for you because it will suggest any existing optionals that you have in scope. Um, so that's super neat. Nice. So good job so far. Uh, going to statement number two, for loops will detect if you type the singular form of an existing collection uh, type and autocomplete the entire statement for you. So for instance, uh, as an example, if you had uh, um, an array called children, and it's an array of uh, strings, for instance, uh, and you were to type for uh, child or ch, uh, it will autocomplete child in children. If you type for children, it will autocomplete child in children as well. So in either direction, that seems to work. And it works for uh, like difficult scenarios. Like if you have goose and geese, uh, that will also work. Um, and what about sheep? This... Sheep and sheep. Yeah. I tried that one <laughs> because I was, I was worried about that scenario as well. And that <laughs> will work just fine because Swift, you're declaring a new variable. Are they, are they only, since, since Swift is fully Unicode compliant, are they only English names or does it also? I think so. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. I, but... I, I didn't test across like a separate language. I figured I would have to change the locale of my system and everything like that. Right. Well, to support uh, but... this, they also added a new formatter that helps with this. Right. What do you mean a format? Yeah, like a way to format There's a developer units, uh, right? Formatter that you can use in your your own code. I'm pretty sure that deals with the singular and plural forms of yeah, different. I yeah, I think I heard about this too. I think I think you're onto something. There. I did. So I think that's what um, I think is exposed to developers, so that we can get the same type of benefit if we're doing something similar. So I learned. I did not know that, uh, but this is also absolutely true. Nice. Um, so that brings us to statement number three. So when calling functions, the editor will prioritize variables with similar names to the argument you are auto-completing uh, to make getting through long argument lists easier. So if, as I said, if you had a function called do something with three arguments, a, b, and c, all type int, and you had three variables, a, b, and c, all of type int, as you get to the auto-completion for a, the first entry in that list will in fact be a. Uh, so this is true to that extent, because if you were to instead declare your variables as let C equals this, let A equals this, and then let B equals this, the autocompletion would then suggest C as the first option, uh, which makes this absolutely uh, incorrect. So great job, Paul, for snuffing nice. that one out. Um, at first, when I was testing, I was like, it works. Like, I guess they got this one too. I, I was trying to make up 
scenarios um, that wouldn't work because there were quite a lot of new things. For example, switch statements also. If you type switch uh, and then you uh, say the thing you're switching, it will automatically fill in all the cases. You don't need oh, to use nice. the fix it shortcut anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like all sorts of these new editor improvements. Um, and I was like trying to make up some. Uh, and I was bummed at first that this one didn't work, but then I, I got sneaky and it was able to break. So maybe <laughs> nice. in a future version, uh, but until then, uh, great job, Paul. Uh, and this means, I'm sorry, Ben, uh, but dot chaining members of an expression like view.undomanager.canadu absolutely does work, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's so just one you, level, right? Yeah, just one level. It won't go further than that. Um, but that one extra level is often all you need to skip like dot layer. Oh, mm-hmm. I should have thought of mm-hmm. dot layer. I was trying to think of like an example to put here, and I was like, yeah, uh, view dot bounds dot width, and I was like trying to skip bounds, but then there's like a width anchor, and that was getting priority. Um, but all the dot layer um, ones are great use, are a great example of right. this being very useful. If you typed view dot layer dot corner radius, and mm-hmm. instead you typed view dot corner radius, it will automatically suggest that you need a little layer in there. Nice. Um, so that's super neat. Well, in this case, even though I'm wrong, I'm I'm happy to be wrong in this case because this is a cool feature. <laughs> yep. And it also helps with discovery. Yeah. So mm-hmm. As you're yep. typing, it's like... Uh, what yeah, was you don't thing? know exactly where something is. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of suggests it. Yep. Um, I think that there were a few others. Uh, if you type uh, let cell equals uh, and then you need something that gives you back a cell, that will be the first in the autocomplete list. If right. you type That's let, what I was of. layout equals, uh, layout will be first in the autocomplete list. And I found mm-hmm. that to be super cool. Um, and then one more is if you try to use something that is not part of the current set of frameworks that you imported, it will just go ahead and suggest, hey, do you want to import that framework um, for that file? Um, which kind of speeds up the process of realizing why an autocomplete is not coming up um, and it's just because it's part of framework that you didn't import. So, uh, great job, Paul. I'm sorry, uh, Ben. <laughs> Better luck next time. No problem. But good improvements all around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely exciting. It's a good time for Xcode 13 to not be broken, right? Right. Xcode 13 that just came out, release <laughs> candidate, right? Did they did they have a dub dub video that I, I very well may have missed of like specifically Xcode like editor improvements? Like, no, uh, like this was like from a Twitter thread that came out uh, right around dub dub that I like saved it. and I okay. just scavenged up <laughs> this morning. <laughs> um, for you didn't look through the release release notes for this. So this year is the first year I did not read any of the release notes. Usually I read like every single like one that comes in and yeah. I have been a bad developer this year and <laughs> I did not read anything. I have been like so overwhelmed with life. Um, but yeah, no release note reading for me this year. So if you were to to recommend, it'd still be like read the Xcode release notes and then read the iOS release notes. Are there any others that are important to read? Um, I would say the Mac OS ones are usually just as useful, um, especially now that like anything that you build on iOS can run on Mac OS. Um, uh, I like to read all the release notes. I like to read all the diffs. Um, so not for Swift, but for Objective-C diffs, there's a website called, uh, I don't know, so I'm going to get a link for that. Um, and you can go ahead and see all the changes uh, with the current SDK. Um, and that usually 
bubbles up of all sorts of things that don't get mentioned anywhere else, like uh, something in color sync changed uh, to support uh, ProRes, for instance, in iOS. So there, there are like hints like this that have come in uh, since iOS 15 kind of first launched. Um, so I usually read that because that was really quick to just like kick, click through. It shows you all the changes. Unlike Apple's documentation, which is kind of horrible to click through to see diffs. Um, like it's it's good when you see, oh, I can't use this yet. That's that's great. Great job, Apple. But if you want to see a list of everything that changed, mm, not that great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would definitely recommend reading the release notes. I guess at the end of the beta cycle works just as well because you get the accumulation of everything but some stuff generally gets lost in the weeds um there's also like app kit uh release notes if you're a mac developer uh that are specific to app kit um and sometimes there's foundation release notes and those are usually great as well because that's the only documentation you'll get on a certain feature <laughs> and that's it um so those ones are also usually good to read and where do we find out about the new swift playground stuff that's supposed to be coming out uh I'm under the impression that Apple never never said anything about that. Like, what are you talking about? No such thing as Xcode for iOS. That's just a silent release with iOS 15? I don't think so. I think it's going to be separate. It's a separate app, right? Yeah, that they didn't announce anything and that it wasn't available as, like, a preview, um, like, during the beta cycle tells me that it isn't ready. Maybe it's waiting for Xcode Cloud which I, I did not try at all despite having a beta for. So the last <laughs> thing they wrote, I think, was coming in a software update later this year. So, so that later could be this like year Christmas. in Apple terms is December 31st. We know this well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a Christmas present from Apple to us. That was like the one thing I was excited to try in the beta, and then I <laughs> got to the betas, and it's like not there, and I'm like, Ugh. Here's a broken Xcode 13 instead. Uh, in any case, uh, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there is a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with all your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Ben, who is at Ferris Guy, that's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter, and Paul, who is at Paul Soltz, that's at P-A-U-L-S-O-L-T on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Catch you later. So I had a short story that I wanted to tell, especially since we discussed SwiftUI last week. So Ben, you mentioned that every now and then SwiftUI just doesn't want to compile. Um, so I have a, a one-up on that situation. So Lynn was building something uh, in SwiftUI, and something was missing. But we didn't have very much time to figure out what was missing, because within 10 seconds of Xcode launching and opening the project, it would start compiling in the background. Uh, while it was compiling in the background, it brought the entire system down, uh, which means that the computer restarted, uh, at which oh, point the computer restarted, relaunched Xcode, and we had another 10 seconds to quickly figure out what was going on. So uh, why did the computer go down? Well, it's something Xcode related, right? If we quit Xcode, yeah. computer doesn't go down. Launch Xcode, 10 seconds. Let's start it now. Um, so I go to Activity Monitor. I check like what is running and we see source kit 
and Swift C, which is the Swift compiler, uh, racking up gigabytes upon gigabytes of RAM, roughly at five, 10 gigabytes per second. Um, and as you can imagine, uh, as this number gets to a certain point and inflates to a certain point, the system basically can't do anything about it. And instead of gracefully handling that situation, the system basically kernel panics. It's not even a kernel panic, I don't think. It's a watchdog timer. Basically, the CPU doesn't respond to the kernel in time. Uh, and the kernel's like, eh, something went wrong. Let's restart. Um, so uh, it turns out it was a missing parentheses, you know. <laughs> Oh the simple God. little things in life. Missing print, and this is in thirteen or twelve. Uh, this was in, I want to say thirteen. I didn't keep the code around because it was dangerous. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. so I, I, I quickly like commented everything out. I was like, okay, if I uncomment these lines, quick to activity monitor, see if anything is ballooning. If I'm fast enough, I can force quit it, and right. I get another ten seconds to like try again. You didn't get a screenshot um, of it. No. So not. how many 10 second intervals did it take you to to like find the actual problem? <laughs> About like an hour or two. <laughs> oh, oh wow. So this is a, a case of Swift UI going rogue. <laughs> Yikes. That's and that's I, I wanted to share it last episode, but I didn't remember until after we hung up. <laughs> but I needed to get that out there. Yikes. That's that's scary. I mean that's really scary that like not only can a syntax error in your code caused <laughs> even, even Xcode to crash, right? That would be its own problem. But to the point that it makes the whole thing basically, you know, get a get a sort of kernel level problem that requires the whole OS to be rebooted because you're missing a parentheses. Like, yikes. Come it's on, just grabbing, it's probably like some kind of tight loop that's just continually asking for more memory to right. scan your code or something, or it's in like the tree... Right, and it's yeah. I saw somebody something. complain on Twitter today that Xcode 13 now that the RC is out that that they were like it looks like syntax highlighting has gone completely compiler driven rather than like I think what they called it otherwise, but it was you know rather than scanning the code in a different way to create the syntax highlighting, it's based entirely on the compilation status, uh, which is why like especially in SwiftUI if you have something that doesn't compile properly. Suddenly, like all of your syntax, oh, the syntax guy. <laughs> yeah. that they've that they've changed. Sorry, the this system is too funny. To when, how it works so that it's compilation based. We had such a stable thing going on with Objective C, and <laughs> so many steps backwards <laughs> since Swift came out. Yeah, um, like I, I do wonder if, like, strategically, yes, Swift brought on a ton of new developers to the platform. Uh, it breathed a bit of new life into. Uh, the application development that was happening, but it also like paused Apple's own progress significantly, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and yeah. it's a bit of shame if you think about it like that, um, especially since so many people only know Swift and they're like, I would have never become an iOS developer if it wasn't for a change in language like this uh, that made it more accessible. Uh, but as, it makes as it more the accessible. old curmudgeon... But I think the big challenge I'm facing is there's so many features now and there's so many like little things that you could do differently. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a bigger learning curve to get into like now we've got like property wrappers and all kinds of like voodoo magic that you can sort yeah. of annotate and get 
interesting behaviors that are helpful, but it's like another layer of complexity. Right. But progressive disclosure, Paul, you don't need to know all those things right away. <laughs> yeah, but that's nonsense. Like, I don't... <laughs> when you're debugging, it's... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I would say... I think I think the bottom line is, like, Swift, and particularly we're talking about Swift UI and, like, property wrappers and stuff like that. It has become more, I think, approachable from a beginner's perspective in the sense that you can get something functioning, I think, a little quicker. Mm-hmm. But but its overall learning curve, I think, is definitely a lot higher. So a little more approachable than things like Objective-C, but a lot much harder to, to master and get mm-hmm. right because the because the 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 set of of the syntax and the grammar that you need to understand is a lot more complex. Um, and so ramping up is is a lot harder. Like it, people say, oh, Swift is a really good like learning language. I don't think that's true. It's it's a very approachable language. Good for the that, basics. And then it right. gets into the weeds. <laughs> yeah, it gets into the weeds real quick and it like and Here's like the curve that you need just to goes like Yeah, the curve goes like straight up, right? Like a like a basically like a almost almost totally vertical. Um mm. and, and I you might that's... never need to climb that curve. Right. Uh, but yeah. like as a developer, you end up approaching it or falling in the middle of it quite yeah. often and it's like putting yeah. an amateur rock climber up on mount everest right. uh just randomly it's like oh and you happen a... to put a parentheses here you are right. on mount everest now <laughs> yeah. and as a teacher by the way right, the computer is going to crash in 10 seconds go right <laughs> we were all we've all been teachers right so like as a teacher also like it's it's you're right that you may not ever need to get into some of those straight up vertical things but even even getting beyond teaching the basics you're going to get into a little bit of that curve at least i mean you mm-hmm. know because I've taught, I taught entirely about to see when I began teaching. Um, and then I taught uh, a little bit of Swift. And then mm-hmm. I started to kind of push more into like where Swift kind of the, 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 the seesaw kind of tilted the other way and it became more Swift than Objective C. And then, you know, when we were all at Lambda School, we taught majority Swift. And right towards the end of the program, before it before it was shut down, we were starting to introduce Swift UI into the mix as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 shift would just continue to to happen as well over time. More Swift UI, less UI kit. Um, and I feel like with all of those changes, all those shifts in the curriculum, it made it, again, I think more approachable initially, but ultimately harder to teach because like we said, right, the, the learning curve gets, it gets really steep really quickly. Not to mention if you include things like combine and FRP and, you know, stuff that, that is, even further away from what I would consider to be like classic iOS development, which is basically Objective-C and UIKit, like the, you know, the first mm-hmm. five or six versions of, of the OS that we all coded against. If you, right. If you and so then I think the other challenge is as a, as a team, like your team has to decide like what, yeah. what code do we want to use? And so like right. I had the decision of potentially using a property wrapper for some potential helper or just writing a function that was very readable and you could just follow it. And it was like, okay, let me weigh this. Uh, I'm going to do the function because that's more readable and approachable. Right. And I think it's a little bit easier to maintain right now for something that was kind of like, this would be cool to do, but a function serves a better purpose in my mind because I can make the function very verbose and say like, this is what this is doing. So it's sort of self-documenting versus the property wrapper, which was just kind of, voodoo magic yeah and if you weren't paying attention it just sort of did it 
right? I think it's easier to be clever, right, with these newer tools. Mm-hmm. And as we, as you know, kind of the old adage is like, generally speaking, being clever with your code is something that will either eventually bite you, or certainly it'll it'll eventually bite people that that come after you, right? Um, that being clever is often not what you want to do in production code because it's just too hard to maintain. Um, yeah. And I think it's become easier. Like you were, when you were describing that, Paul, I was thinking like, you know what you could do? Like you, like you said, right? You could, you could basically invent your own new property wrapper to solve that problem. And that's cool and maybe clever, but like, is it better? I, I think it's somewhat arguable whether mm-hmm. it is or it isn't, right? And of course, you have to decide based on your code base and your team and like a whole bunch of factors. Um, but but it does seem like it has become easier. Apple has made it easier for you to be clever with your code. And particularly for juniors, that can be like a very enticing sort of siren song, right? To be like, ooh, I can be really clever with what I'm doing. It's like, right. But is that better? I, it's like, they I don't think have you need to go through that process, right? You need to write yeah. clever code to realize that it's not... A that great idea. Right. Uh, but Swift yeah. is also like a very unique in a language that operates kind of differently than many other languages. For instance, if you have two types that are very kind of close together and you want to convert from one to another, you might write a function on one of them to say to this other type, right? But that's not really Swifty. In fact, the Swifty version of this is to write an initializer on the other type that takes the first type. Right. That's the Swifty version of writing a cast. For instance, on no no built-in types, like an integer, you'll find a way to convert it to a string of a certain format. But you'll find the opposite. You'll find initializers on string that will convert an integer in a certain way. Um, so it's very backwards in that way. And I don't think any of that is really being taught. Um, and that hurts Swift because it means that no one really knows how, like, fundamentally what the goal of the languages right yeah so everyone ends up inventing a different solution right. and this is perhaps made worse by the fact that apple doesn't have any good guidance in terms of documentation and sample code because mm-hmm. they were not the ones using swift for the first four years they were the ones writing the language but not kind of guiding how it should be used and Unlike with Objective-C, where we had a lot of guidance there, like there was 20 years to build up to that point. Um, like, hey, this is how you make an iOS app. An iOS app has never been made before, but this is how you make one. Um, and we don't have that with Swift, and therefore we've invented 17 different ways of doing it. Uh, <laughs> and half of those are really clever, and the other half uh, are maybe not clever, but then they don't adhere to the design of the language as well. So. Right. It's there's a lot going on with it, and that just makes it super complicated to keep up with, especially as it's always changing too. Yeah. So, it's his life. 